0: Welcome, adventurer, to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey, adventurers, welcome to episode 109 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. King Scott here. And Teacher Ryan is here, and I am hyped. And hey, guys, I'm going to steal the floor right away. Okay. I got a notification—a notification that Ryan knows about because he sent it to me. Do you see? <laughs> Twilight Imperium. Well, wait, wait. <laughs> Scott, it involves Twilight Imperium.
1: I'll, you you guys uh, <laughs> converse. I'm going to go get some coffee. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Twilight Imperium is coming to Board Game Arena. They got a big old oh. banner. I think it's probably part of the Essen prep and the setup over there. Where'd you get that pick? Is that Essen?
2: It is Essen. Yep.
0: Uh, Coming soon to BGA. I know. I'm looking forward to those six-month asynchronous games. <laughs> so, so, theoretically, all right, I didn't. first of all, I didn't know that Board Game Arena was capable of handling that kind of – I don't know. It just feels like an old website, and I feel like the amount of programming that you got to put in there to make this thing function. I mean, there's there isn't going to be much in the way of graphics. You are going to have some art. I get that it's not a graphic issue, but like, how is it going to handle all of the nuance? Like, there are so many niche cases. Like, if you listen to uh, Space Cats, Peace Turtles, who I've referenced before, they're the Premier Twilight Imperium podcast, the unofficial uh, podcast for the game. They're constantly like they have like rules questions that come up. Man, it's it's the uh, what is it the, the Enigma the The riddle wrapped up in a puzzle, that whole deal. I can't wait to see how this turns out on BGM. Excited! I'm excited
2: too, but at the same time, like, yes, I have no idea how they're going to implement it, especially when it's not necessarily a voice kind of. Uh, gaming platform where you you can do it, but like I don't think everyone's going to be out there at the same time when it comes time to doing things like voting or negotiations. Mm-hmm. So like it's going to be all typed out and just I don't know how much is actually going to get done <laughs> unless you play like a real time game with friends because just like a few of the past games I played, anything you play real time has the potential of, or even turn based has the potential of if you feel like you're about to lose. You could just drop the game and that would just Uh, ruin it for everyone else. So I feel like you would only really want to play this with friends so that you don't think that they can, they
0: will do that to you. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: okay. Okay. Um. You guys done?
0: <laughs> we're done.
1: All right. So, all right. I, I think go the more ahead, important Scott. thing is we had PGX. Woo! Yes. <laughs> yes, we did. Adventures,
0: we've got a gigantic episode. We've got a whole bunch of recent plays. Our review game today is going to be Eclipse, second on for the Galaxy. We've got a discussion about gateway games, intro games. It's a big old episode, but first we're going to lead it off with some recap of PGX. Bear with us. This is a big, long convention. We're so excited about it. Promise you we're a board game podcast, but we want to talk some PGX. GX Guys, this was the best weekend I've had all year. I totally wow.
2: agree.
1: I totally agree. <laughs> it was it intense. It was a great time. It's it's hard to match it up and say I I don't know if I like to say I had this was the best weekend ever. Or this was the best weekend ever. I like to have a whole bunch of them. Yeah, that's true. Well,
0: you know what? I, I told Brian. So Brian runs the Pittsburgh Gaming Expo. He's one of three. They're in charge of it. He's like our main point of contact. And I told him, I sent him a thank you on a Monday or Tuesday. And uh, never mind the the bulk of the thank you for, for having us and hosting us and whatnot. But I put in there, you know what, Brian? This truly is, for me anyway, this is the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? This is the the biggest showing uh, uh, for the podcast, right? Where we have mm-hmm. the biggest presence. Uh, it's where we have listeners that come in and, and introduce themselves to us as like, you don't understand, Brian. I we go to Origins, we go to PAX, we go to Gen Con. I look forward to this—the little video gaming convention with eh, some board games trickled in here and there. I look forward to this more than any of that, and I'm sure that it's because we're on you know the other side of the table, but. Oh, absolutely mean it. Th- this is the Super Bowl of weekends for me. Guys, let's break it down by day. Ryan, I want to hear about this train ride in, which uh, I'm sure was a whole lot of Arc Nova with me because I was sitting at work and I was like, wow, <laughs> he is yeah. uh, he's Johnny on the spot when it's his turn. That's right. Yeah. Um, I managed to get a lift to to the
2: train station. I was supposed to get on the train at 1107 and arrive at your place at seven o'clock on the dot. However, there was a flood in New York City. So all the trains Mm. were delayed. I think there was about a two hour delay before the train got to me. So I officially got on the train at one o'clock, but you know, from there it was smooth sailing all the way across Pennsylvania to Pittsburgh to where you were. Um, Yes, we did play some Arc Nova on the train ride to keep me company. But in the meantime, you know, I took a nap and I was ready for ready to go once
0: I got there on Friday evening. Boy, every time you give me an up I'm in Lancaster, I'd start getting butterflies to be like he's almost there. <laughs> now Scott, in the meanwhile, you had the task of setting
1: up. You had to set up the level up booth, everything. You had a whole bin. You sent him oh, pictures yeah, too, yeah, the yeah, hall, the
0: table set up. Oh.
1: Walk got straight. things set up, and I was a little unsure where we were. We were up in the front with – now, this one just kills me here. I How we became featured guests, I don't know, but we were. And we were in the, the lineup of the likes of the Boomshakalaka –
3: yeah,
1: I can't talk. <laughs> the Boomshakalaka guy from NBA Jam. Yeah, and that's one of two. the artists from Mortal Kombat.
0: Uh-huh. The, he was the original Mortal Kombat 1 artist. The dragon yeah. in the circle, the
1: characters, yeah. he did all that. Uh, Paul Niemeyer, yeah. (laughs) And us, two guys talking about board games. How that happened, I don't know, but it did. I really did enjoy where we were because those were all lined up against the front wall. So you come in the front door, you turn to the left, they're all against that wall. But we were right at the corner, so we were making the turn there. So whenever you came in, make a left, boom, there we were, right at the end. Granted, we weren't close to the front entrance, but people had a straight shot right to us to see mm-hmm. where we were. And it was wide open. Setting up, there weren't many people there, surprisingly. Uh, oh, yeah. It was around 3 or 4 o'clock, I think, on Friday afternoon. A couple people set up, a few people bringing stuff in. There was really not much going on. It was pretty barren. But I knew what was going to happen, what was going to be going on, walking in there and seeing the whole convention center set up was just such a great feeling. The whole back room where the entire convention took place last year was where they had the arcade games this year. Mm-hmm. So that was like, holy cow, this is insane. It was great to have all that extra room because it was a nice way to start out last year with having just half the building. This year, having a whole building, it really brought people around. No one was really like crunched into places or anything or really like sweaty and you get that funk going around and everything plenty of space it was just (laughs) it it was set up really well and i just could not wait to see what it was going to look like in its full glory the next morning when we got there and everyone was set up
2: Just to add to that, anybody that goes to a convention, please take a shower, put on some deodorant,
1: that'll help out. (laughs) I always loved it. Somebody said one time that Axe should like sponsor a convention or something. So where they have like the metal detectors or whatever, you just walk through and it's just an automatic shh. Spray right away.
0: <laughs> so, you know, foreteller <laughs> games, the guys that supply the audio for some of these big campaigns. Oh, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. do. Yes. Mm-hmm. They always have a really engaging booth. And the one year they did the scavenger hunt thing, like, oh, go look for this. Go look for that. Go stop by this publisher. And uh, one of them is a little small little publisher. And at their booth, like you had to collect the the secret item. And you know what it
1: was? It was a little bottle of soap.
2: <laughs> I still have it. I yeah. still have it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Saturday oh, morning. Wait. Actually, thinking about that, make note that could be something fun for next year.
0: You know what? I I feel like it could give off the wrong impression, like we're better than you well, guys no, 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 all. No, 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 not
1: give out soap, but a, a scavenger oh, to- hunt. Totally
0: doing a scavenger hunt. We know. <laughs> I, I thought you meant soap too. We know, Adam. <laughs> Uh, Adam from Tunnel Monster Collective. We got Steven from Brown Castle Games. We know everyone oh, yeah. that runs the board game area. We know the guys that run the show now. We know Nikki's cousin. We know Game Masters. Uh, yeah. uh Phil over at Game Masters. Oh, we could have a ball with we that. We could have people go in seven or eight places. Okay. Oh, Saturday yeah. morning. Waking up. Ryan and I get out the house. We had some mick breakfast on the way, which turned out not to come back and bite us later on. Get in the hall. We start chatting, looking around. We set up the last couple things and we were on a mission things had to happen namely beating sunset riders mike showed up They're, right behind us he's like boys we got to do this <laughs> that was a beeline right to it <laughs> tell you what it's oh, a lot no. easier when you have unlimited continues
1: <laughs> oh, oh, oh you let the secret out i thought you guys like played on one quarter
0: now you know what if if we were paying quarters i probably had to hit continue I don't know, 10 times?
1: Oh, yeah,
2: especially on that last boss. That last boss was just taking us down left and right. Mm, it was a quarter yeah, I got there
1: right whenever you're doing that. Like, we did it, we did it. Oh, wait, no, we didn't. Hurry up, play. <laughs> so... The
0: hall opens right. There's this. Oh, it's getting close to eleven. Last chance to pee. Grab one more beer, and here we go. Yes, we were each like two beers, three beers. It. Well, I don't know about you guys. Sunday, especially. I was. I was getting blitzed. Uh, anywho, <laughs> the hall opens. People start coming in, and our booth is a bustle. And we had the pillar of power. Right, our deal was uh, the dice. You can you can buy a die for a dollar. We're giving away uh, giving away games at the end of each day. We had a raffle. I think we gave away something like eighteen games by the end of it. And all you had to do same as last year place a class we'll give you a ticket if you beat us we'll give you 3 but i thought you know what last year i was selling dice and people were actually buying it so this year i was like how are we gonna how are we gonna kick that up a notch 4 foot tall dice tower with led lighting <laughs> And people were just going crazy for it. It was so much fun watching folks and especially kids having a lot of fun with that. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah. That dice tower was really a spectacle.
2: That light was going off. And again, when you come into the convention hall and you look to the left, there's just this bright, tall tower with the level of board game <laughs> podcast all across it painted in its yellow and blue. But yeah, uh, if anybody bought a dice, they got a ticket, and if they dropped it in the tower and they rolled a natural twenty on any of the dice that they purchased, bam, another ten free tickets. And man, I tell you, on on Saturday we only had two of those. <laughs> so mm-hmm.
0: the tower, yeah. the tower was cruel. But I love it because it, it happens and people are erupting and like I, I all the heads in that corner of the hall turn over like what's going on over there? It was so exciting.
1: It was cool. Well, one thing I ran into Brian on Friday when we were setting up, and. Oh, yeah? he brought up a little thing and i I thought about it and i okay let's do it so that the whole king persona and everything i had to act out on it so i brought my crown and we wanted to keep it safe so i brought my lightsaber with me so i decided (laughs) we were going to knight people into the order of wilford and Uh. we did that we would get some people we would have them set out there turn on the lightsaber and in the name of Feld, and Kenitia and Gygax. I now pronounce you <laughs> sir, or dame, whatever, into the order of Wilford. Now Scott,
0: we got a lot of new listeners. Before you continue, what's Wilford?
1: Oh, yes, Wilford. Whenever you pop onto our website and everything, you'll see the shield and the mighty warrior in front of it. Well, that mighty will, uh, warrior is Wilford. Mm. So he has his own thing. Like we'd had the Order of the Garter with King Henry. So that was a mm-hmm. big thing there. That was a very, very high honor. So we decided we're going to have the Order of Wilford. So if certain people are inducted into that. Some people are automatically. So, Ryan, you are automatically part of the Order of Wilford. Oh, oh but I didn't get knighted. I really, really want to get knighted by you the next time I see you. We will work on getting that change then, officially. <laughs> Scotty knighted me twice last night. It oh, was wonderful. Boy. Oh <laughs> boy! No, I haven't. There we go. Patrick making it creepy once again. <laughs> expect All nothing right.
0: less we have demos 1 to 5 right and and there was a little bit of not coordinating the demos quite right i think i think we should have had the sign up at our booth but it was over in the gaming area so like some people were asking over there some were asking over here i didn't get mega man fired off on the first day but you guys each had a chance to to do a little demo tell me what'd you show off So I really enjoyed the fact that King Scott brought his
2: copies of Unmatched. He had three sets with him, and we put that as one of the demos. And I managed to get uh, Sir Jack, one of the people that Scott knighted, uh, interested interested in the game. I met him over at the tables in the tabletop section at about two o'clock, and we played some Unmatched. They picked to play as the Black Panther, and I got to pick Achilles. I taught them the game. They really seemed to enjoy it, and we were about to start a match. But then his wife showed up and I was like, okay, do you want to play against him? You know, you know, (laughs) and so Mm -hmm. she fought against him. She started becoming the Black Panther and he was Achilles. And then while I'm watching them and making sure that they're playing it correctly, their friends come and I say, hey, we have a couple of maps still available. We have 10 more characters to <laughs> choose from. Do yep. you want to play? And they joined as well. So uh, we got a, a game with Sun Wukong and I played as something that I've always wanted to play as. And that's Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary has like a, a unique deck where it's all about the number three. Uh, mm, because, you know, I okay. say Bloody Mary three times. So Never We had heard two of that. games. Two games of Unmatched going back and forth, and uh, oh, it was just a great time. They easily got in touch with it. It's a good uh, intro game for anybody who doesn't know how to play or is interested in starting board games, which we'll talk about later. But yeah, Unmatched was kind of a hit, and I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And then I left, and then King Scott had a game to demo, didn't you?
1: Yes, yes. I uh, pulled out a copy of Thunder Road Vendetta. And we had a couple people come over and drew in a couple more. So we had four people playing. Wow. And little did they know the chaos that was going to happen. So you'll have to listen back to our episode when we talked about Thunder Road Vendetta to get all the details. But let's just say we had one person who wanted to be an agent of chaos. No. Oh no. And they decided to just run right up the middle and just run into everything they possibly could. Someone Scott, wants to play bumper cars. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was so much fun whenever they would start playing. And they're very nervous getting through the first couple turns. And Then they got a little more little more used to things. So yeah, I'm gonna go this far. I'm gonna go this far. Oh, I can bump into okay, I'm gonna bump into him and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And it just escalated, escalated, escalated. And they had a great time playing it. Lots of laughs, lots of hollering. People were standing up, looking at it whenever they would figure out when they're going to move things. And it worked out really, really well. It was a great time.
0: So it's back to the booth. We do our giveaways and then we got to, we got to just close things down. Their deal is like, you know, don't shut down early. People are paying a ticket. They want to see you right for, for all the vendors. That's just a blanket email that they send out with all their guidelines and whatnot. And I was like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We had helpers. We had Mike there. Jason was there and Jimmy was there. All three of them guys. Thank you so much for, uh, for pitching and for helping out We had this idea. Look, we all got to eat. So a couple of us can go to dinner. And then we'll come back and the other ones can go to dinner. And I had this brilliant idea of getting Taco Bell, which is like my favorite of the fast food dinners. (laughs) And and boy, it turns out that was an epic fail because there was a Mission Barbecue at the parking lot. And I've been craving (laughs) it. Craving it ever since. Scott can't even talk right now because of this stupid Mission Barbecue. I will. I got a picture of you holding a tray. Jimmy
3: sends me a picture like licking your fingers.
0: (laughs) Oh, So angry. Back to the hall, we come and we got the chance. No, 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 no. We're not done yet.
1: We're glossing over Mission. The best Mike- part about it is Mission Barbecue <laughs> <laughs> shares a parking lot with Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> it was that close.
2: <laughs> <laughs> In Patrick's usual, not listening to Mike.
0: got
1: <laughs> it Mike worse. A-
0: <laughs> we pulled into the parking lot and Mike was like, oh, there's Mission Barbecue right there. And I don't know if I was paying attention to parking or what. And I didn't even know what it was. I just had my mind fixated on Taco (laughs) Bell. I was going to get me a chalupa come hell or high water. And uh, yep, that was a mistake. (laughs) Got to wear this one. Not
2: only that, we were in the middle of a game and Jason came by. And Jason was like, by the way, what did you guys have for dinner? We had Mission Barbecue. It was pretty good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wait, wait. Oh, oh no, we'll revisit it. We will revisit this mission barbecue. <laughs> For well, well, God's there's sake. More. We need them as a sponsor now. Okay, so back to the hall we go. We're playing Eclipse, right? Ryan, you had it, you had it learned. We wanted to review this game, so you taught us eclipse. We played it all night Saturday until we shut the damn place down. Back to the hotel. I was like, man, I am tired. I'm taking a shower. I get out of the shower. You guys got G.I. Joe Mission Critical set up on the hotel tiny <laughs> yeah, no desk table. You're like, this is happening. It's like, well, all right, I guess.
2: Oh, no. Yeah. Scott's love for G.I. Joe. I had to tell him about this game that I got, and he was so excited. I was like, all right, we'll bring it to the con. I will play it with you. And so, yeah, we just set it up. Um, I, both of our eyes were just like just dread with like tiredness, and, and we just wanted to go to bed. But no, nope, yeah, At that was, point, I had it was six Go-Jer beers time. 12
0: hours ago. Oh, We're yeah, We're going that's on true. two in the morning. Got to be up at seven. Oh, my. You know what? <laughs> it was a fun game. It was a bad really decision, was. but it was a fun game. We
2: brought
1: down Copperhead with Sergeant Slaughter, his vehicles and everything. <laughs> I really enjoyed how unique each character was that you played in that because I was really unsure of that game and it played out really very very cool and i'm anxious to give it a try and try out more characters truly once again i must say thank you ryan for that game as well too so that sitting on my gi joe uh, cube right now with all my other gi joe stuff
2: more things for you to paint huh (laughs) oh no i knew you would like it because when i told you that i played it you got super giddy about it and you really wanted to figure out how to play it so now you know
1: and knowing's half the battle
0: Sunday show up at the con finish off eclipse we had to leave it set up Saturday night and JD was like yeah leave it there you know it'll be here in the morning and we get to show up before they open the hall so we're like yeah guys we're gonna have two hours we're gonna go in. we're gonna play some video games and then we're gonna play us we're gonna finish up eclipse and we did and then it's back to action hallway opens I gotta tell you I ran into a ton of friends you know I'll get into listeners but my buddy David was there I got to see Steve A bunch of people that I don't get to see too often just Mm -hmm. running into some of them old friends the guy that one best in show for arcade games. He had the Super Mario or pinball. He had the Super Mario pinball. That's okay. my buddy Mike H. Dude, that nice. I mean, an acquaintance from some time ago. I haven't talked to him in
1: fifteen oh, years. Wow. I knew the guy. What are the odds? Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and I think that was one of the great things about this show being in our backyard. We have a chance of seeing so many people that we know.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking
1: of people that you know, uh, did you tell them about
0: the panel that you guys did that afternoon? Oh man, panel panel was <laughs> panel was fun. I had a great time doing this. Now here's here's the deal. You would think being on a podcast, like Scott, you're in front of people all the time. I know you don't get worried when you're in front of a crowd and you gotta talk. No. It's you, you adventures, Scott is the megaphone in this hallway. <laughs> if you need someone two states over to hear something, just to <laughs> tell Scott to shout it. It's impressive. Me, you'd think I'd be a little bit more uh, okay with being in front of people. I get timid. But I found that alcohol takes that right away. <laughs> so that, I'm that, that PGX I'm like themed alcohol. Three or four beers in, yeah, I got myself another PGX beer. Somebody was like coming to the panel, and they're like, "Hey, you want a beer for the other uh, panel?" I was like, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> had an excellent panel and one of our listeners zach who who we alluded to zach and his lovely wife they showed up scott you had you had knighted zach i said we'll get back to this and i think you you called him jack you were like under rise sir jack and he goes
1: uh that's great but my name is zach
0: so he was Sir Jack for the whole
1: weekend i would like to say that that was due to the background noise that i said zach Mm. i mean hey i'm the one wearing the crown so i'm the one that's right. (laughs) <laughs> How about a huzzah for Sir Zach? Huzzah! huzzah!
0: Oh, man. Guys, so we finished the panel, and we got to go back, do some more demos. I got to tell you, that painted Wolfenstein, I had a group of four of us, and that thing hit the spot. The playtime was just right, and the guys that were playing seemed so enthused about it. They were talking. They were strategizing they're trading cards. Okay, I have this card. If I come over here and give it to you, then you can run into that room. You know, my initial play when we were playing, Scott, I was like, "Eh, it feels kind of milquetoast, you know, kind of simple for a dungeon. Man, we were playing there and it was like, wow, this is hitting the spot. Might have been the atmosphere, might have been the, uh, you know, that we're at PGX or new people enjoying the painted copy. Might have been the five beers or six beers, whatever I was up to at that point. But I had a blast
1: doing that. Booth was hopping all day Sunday. I think the thing that was really made it special is that our next door neighbor, Alex, He got tied up with some traffic getting in. He was a little bit late. He had a bunch of role-playing games set up for him to run. So he was never over at our booth. So the Mm -hmm. next day he did show up, but he was running more games. So we kind of took over his booth and you set up right there because where we were with our booth and setting up the demos was on the whole other side of the convention hall. So it was a little bit tough. So having it right next door there and you could keep the electricity going with everything going on with the oh, booth, yeah. with the game, that really made for a special time there. So that's something I think we ought to try and see if we can get like oh, a yeah. double side booth. Oh, I'm telling Brian next year, look, we want to show
0: up, but we want a double or even a triple booth. <laughs> for
2: sure. Not for sure. <laughs> Yeah, but the our booth was also kicking it that entire time too. Like Mike and I were holding it down, getting a bunch of people to roll some dice. Oh yeah, uh, on, on Sunday you had us like record every kind of die roll that there was, and we recorded <laughs> somewhere between sixty and eighty dice results from dropping Ouch. it in that tower. It was crazy. We also recorded how many times we lost at class, which was nine that day. So you know we're not which perfect. is
0: pretty impressive.
2: Oh yeah, yeah it's very you know good. That, that's pretty good. But yeah, but then our raffle was at like 4.45 p.m., but right before 4.30 p.m., Scott, again, his megaphone voice, literally said, last call. And he was yelling it across the whole thing. You could hear the echoes from every wall that was in that convention hall. And the crazy thing is, as soon as he did that, within three minutes, our booth was packed, mm-hmm. packed, packed, packed with like, I want to say somewhere between like 30 people. Um, <laughs> so Patrick sits there in the class table because he wasn't at the class table all day. He was doing all sorts of things like the uh, the demos. And so he's playing like, uh, what's it called? Uh, final rounds. Like instead yeah, we of went to, to sudden three, death. Sudden right? Death. So if
0: you get a ticket for playing us, we would play to three. We don't want to go to six. But we would play to three. But since there's only like three minutes till the drawing, and we have to respect that because some people have other things to do before closing. Closing Like at 445, we were doing the drawing. I was like, all right, it, make a line. If you guys want to get one more ticket for class, sit down. We're going to do sudden death. One goal wins. And Two people back to beat We got their three tickets. And then you guys are like, last call for dice. And people, here's a dollar, drop a dice. And here's a dollar, drop a dice. It was nuts.
2: I never had a chance to stop unrolling that ticket. <laughs> like I was just three over here. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, dispersed about two dice. Oh, okay. Hold on. Let me, let me get that. Yeah, I think you know, it's I funny Came we...
1: in clutch there, Ryan and truly cannot <laughs> thank you enough for all you did.
0: I think in that last 15 minutes, we gave out around like 25 to 40 tickets. (laughs) Yeah, probably as much as the rest of the day. Speaking of uh, rest of the day, end of this day, we do that raffle. And you know what's exciting is there's a ton of people at this convention and suddenly half of them. (laughs) Well, maybe not half. But there's probably 50, 60, 70 people all huddled up in the corner around the level up booth for the drawing. And we get to do the drawing. People win some games. But how exciting that the last game went to a little girl who was probably 10. Yes. And there's always this worry. I know next year I'm going to do like pick the game and I'm going to have like villainous, like something that a kid can play. And mm-hmm. then an adult game. And if the adult game goes, I'll replace it with a new. I'll keep the kid game up there. I don't want to see a little kid win through the ages. But it was it was ticket to ride, San Francisco, something that a kid could handle. Yep. And man, you called that number, Scott, and you just hear this 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 tiny little voice go, "Yes!" <laughs> she holds up her ticket, and the whole place erupts. Everybody's cheering. Ah. Made me so happy. Good times, good times. What a weekend! I tell you. So it's wrap up time. Brian, that runs the show, comes over to the booth, talks about how you know we were we were one of the features, felt really great, and the after the after con dinner commences. Off to pramani's we go. We got to meet up with Adam. Melissa joined us. I thought you know what that'd be nice It's like a nice wind down. Go get some mm-hmm. some pizza, some appetizers, and just finish off the convention. <laughs>
2: Pizza and appetizers. pizza and appetizers. Okay, so something else. So you remember how well, I was talking sandwiches, about. Sandwiches, of course. Pat, Pat doesn't listen to Mike. Well, Mike, uh, the uh, the server was writing down our orders and was going in order <laughs> clockwise around the table. Right behind Patrick in that order is Mike. And Mike says, I'm going to get this sandwich. And then he looked around and he was like, all right, I'm going to get this for the table, this appetizer for the table, and this appetizer for the table. And he was like, hey, guys, I got all our appetizers taken care of. And then it gets to Patrick. Patrick, who didn't apparently listen to any of that, he said, I'm going to get this sandwich and uh, huh, I'm going to get a pizza for the table.
1: Well, you know what? <laughs>
0: It all got eaten. Everybody was it happy did. to have a nice variety it of really appetizers. Did. It really did. Yep. And then it's, uh, oh man, from there, it's it's off to home. Everybody goes their own ways. And that's the end of PGX. Scott, you got a finger up. What do you, oh, yes, yes. What you got? You forgot to revisit. I purposefully omitted.
1: <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so we were sitting there and we were having dinner with Adam from uh, Tunnel, Tunnel Monster. Monster. Yeah. Tunnel Monster, yeah.
0: <laughs> Dude, his shirts are sweet. I
1: got two. Yes. Mo- he
0: messaged me. He's like, "Hey, I have leftover shirts for 10 But I was like, "I want two of two more." So I'm gonna be pimp and Tunnel Monster Collective.
1: <laughs> so we're chatting a little bit, and he had to leave early on Saturday. He had to go to a wedding, so he went to the wedding. We're talking about. It, he goes, "Yeah, it was it was a wedding, and but uh, the food was great. I mean, I, I'd never had it before, but Mission Barbecue they uh, <laughs> catered it. <laughs> we just about lost everything. He has was, no idea what happened." I was certain one of you guys put him up to it. (laughs) No, it actually ended up that Mission Barbecue catered that wedding as well, and he went on about how wonderful the food was and how delicious it was. It was just so funny and so well timed. I mean, that capped off a perfect weekend. All right, guys, we got to get on with the
0: episode, but I don't want to just leave this here. Give me a thought. Your favorite part of PGX now. I will say my level ups for the next eight episodes are gonna be something that happened at PGX. But why don't we go uh, Ryan, Scott, me, and we'll each share like maybe your favorite favorite thing about this convention.
2: Oh man, just the nostalgia of everything. I want to say, like, don't get me wrong, I loved playing the games with you guys, but you know, we do that at every convention we go to. We do that at PAX and Origins. We get to play a game with each other, and I love it every single time. So, mm-hmm. I wanted to say something a little bit different about this one. And I would, I want to see the nostalgia of everything. Like, going around, I was looking for like a copy of DuckTales for the uh, DuckTales 2 for the Game Boy. And I was just sifting through all everyone's catalogs of stuff that they had. And some of it was some very interesting. Uh, I managed to get like a a Ninja Turtle, I think, for my son. Not only just the toys, but like there was a childhood item that uh, our friend Nikki's uh, cousin uh, was it her cousin? You said cousin, uncle, friend, uh, husband. Uh, I have no idea. The the booth uh, which Nikki was at on the very top shelf was a two XL, a two XL. Anybody who doesn't know, oh Scott knows what this is. This is great. (laughs) A two XL is
0: a robot. Oh
2: my god. (laughs) It's
1: a robot that takes cassette tapes. Oh, no, 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 no. Eight track tapes. Oh, I thought it was just cassette tapes. No, no, no. It's eight track tapes because you would have to hit buttons. Oh, yeah. To answer questions, and it would That's right. crash. Oh, my. There
2: was four buttons on it. One was yes, one was no. One was true, one was false. <laughs> Scott's
1: and losing
3: you would- his shit.
2: <laughs> and. And yeah, you're playing this tape and it's giving you like quiz questions and you just have to answer them. Now, for this one, it was still not exactly new in box. It was unused in the box and so it had the tape the was still it had the box, it had the the instructions, it had the original tape that comes with it for setup. Uh, it did not have any other cassette tapes on top of that. So I feel like if I got it, I would have had to like search high and low for just those tapes. Mm-hmm. But man, I used to have one of those when I don't know, I was probably like seven or eight years old. Just the nostalgia of everything. In the arcade room itself, there was... Quite a few arcade games. There was uh, some new console games or old console games. They even had an Odyssey set up with a couple of things. It was crazy. They had like (laughs) Kong set up. I went over there and I played Guitar Hero on the arcade machine. I was guitar hearing it up against Patrick. You're a wizard. Uh, A uh, wizard. (laughs) Not to toot my own horn. I used to be the number one bassist on the game Rock Band in the world. But anyway, (laughs) it shows. It shows. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Being able to be like, hey, uh, Pat, I've been running this booth for like three hours. Can I go play a game? <laughs> I, I went over there and I just played quite a few things that I could think of. Was Ryan's great.
0: on like hour number eight of class. He's like, please, let me like, get away from this table. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Scott, what's your favorite part else. of PGX? Oh, I think one of the things that I had the best time was I had a couple friends that had a booth that were kind of like diagonal away from us their company is called page the gnome and page she makes different journals for role-playing games so Mm -hmm. there'll be session ones where you can keep track of the maps that you're on keep track of all your stats great covers to them really really nice and it was just great every now and then i would page page you still have one of those session journals that were really cool that everyone seemed to be buying do you have any left and she, said, I have a couple <laughs> left. Well, I better get over there before they all sell. And then we had another group from the featured guests. Larry everything Fish, yelled it. over at me. Great marketing idea. And Were it was we- just fun yelling back and forth and just being silly. And first thing Sunday morning, I just got a bee in my bonnet. And I walked down through and I'm just like, what's up, nerds? And just yelled it in the (laughs) whole thing. And I had one person actually say hi. Everyone else is just kind of like, what's that supposed to be? Scott, you probably don't know this,
2: but like when me and Patrick were walking in for the first time on, uh, I want to say Friday morning, (laughs) he did the same thing. He said, what up, nerds? And the only response we got was, that was rude.
0: (laughs) For real. So Don walks in SCG every time. And even the first time I heard it, when he's like, what up, nerds? Everybody's like, oh, (laughs) You know, it's like it, it, it's like our chant. And I thought, oh, we're at home here. I can get away with a what up, nerds. Yeah. How come you get a response? I, oh, Well, uh,
1: well nice. I only got one person. It was just this young girl. She's like, <laughs> hi. And that was it. Everyone else is kind of like glaring at me. You know, that's going to be our thing
0: now. What up, nerds oh, yeah. and highlighter green hats, which we actually sold a couple. So I'm looking yep. around at the, uh, we did. at the convention. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of neon green hats going on here. This is this is great.
1: Well, I don't have a neon green hat, and yes, it, it makes it very easy to pick you guys out, but I do go with the Hawaiian shirt, so I do stand out in the crowd there with those. Well, you're the king. You get to pick your wardrobe. <laughs> Guys, best part of PGX for me,
0: and this could have been saved for a level up, but I feel like I, I got to share this one at the beginning here. We're not even at the beginning of the episode. We're like 40. So like, if you're listening, we are a board game podcast, but this is a once a year thing. We're indulging ourselves. Bear with me. Brown Castle Games is there. Steven Brown, his wife, Megan, they're showing Crokinole. Adam's helping them out over there. Man, just awesome stuff. Saturday morning, we had a trade. And I, Stephen had the deal. He's like, I want to get a board game collection started. I alluded to this last episode. So we have this box of about 15 or 16 games to give to Steven. And we present him you kind know, of the shirt, the game, the game, the game, all these games. We're just pulling. This one's for you. This one, you get a game and you get a game. So I feel <laughs> like we got him a collection oh, and yeah. yet. I feel like we won the most one-sided oh. trade in the history of trades. Yeah, because Brown Castle that Games, Stephen presented us with a custom resin board with the podcast logo. He's got Wolford right on the front. Level Up podcast on it. In Our Colors Established 2020, he gave us the discs. We got him in our colors. He gave us a copy of Crokinole Imperium. He gave us the speed sand, little jar of speed sand, the holders like and and the carrying case. Yes. There's a big old carrying dude It's like the woodcut
1: woodcut, uh, scoreboard. We got the scoreboard as well. The laser.
0: I'm telling you what, uh, Stephen, if you're listening, I feel like we still owe you. But that's it's tremendous. And I am telling you, Adventures, when you hear us plug a Brown Castle commercial at the somewhere in this episode, it is the best. I'm so played on boards and I'm sitting in my basement tinkering
1: with this thing. It is the best. Not only is it great products that they put out, they're just great people as well. I oh, mean, yeah, they're sure. so kind, so generous, so nice. They're I, okay. I- <laughs> all right, moving on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so what do you say we get on some of our recent plays we had to play here? Let's do it. Starting. Oh. All right. Teacher Ryan. Okay.
2: Yeah, we've talked about the fact that me and Pat have been playing Ark Nova on BGA every day so far. But Daily. But what we didn't tell you is when it started. <laughs> I think that's what I, every day means. Well, I mean, we did it Sunday. We did it Saturday. We did it Friday. We're on one today right now that we have yet to finish. We've been playing Ark Nova, I want to say, at least one game a day for the past, I want to say, about a month and some change yeah. now. It's yeah, got to be a month or more. We've been building it up. We've been playing. We've been uh, getting two games. There was one time where we got three games in, but yeah, just recent plays. <laughs> the most recent plays, Ark Nova, just been nonstop playing it. We've been trying all sorts of different combinations because that's what I think what the game's about is trying to find the right oh, combinations yeah. that work for you, digging through that deck. But yeah, just many, many games of Ark Nova. Uh, not getting tired of it. I even asked him, I was like, do you want to change to another game? <laughs> and he was like, no, I'm loving it. I'm not doing great, but I'm figuring it out and i'm loving it so we got to finish our game i think uh so far you're in the lead today
0: (laughs) so we don't have to break down arc nova anybody that's listening knows of arc nova i'm sure and if you haven't there's literally every other podcast and and site you can hear how to play arc nova if you haven't played already building a zoo what keeps us coming back? You know, what are we finding in this last month of playing Arc Nova? I'll tell you what I'm finding. First of all, is that I am padding your stats because you're batting like an 800. I think I win one of every five, roughly. You're very good at Arc Nova, Ryan. And well, what's you. the secret? What's the secret sauce? I mean, I can tell. I can tell that you've obviously you got to shoot for those conservation projects that are that are public. If we can both shoot for America icons and one person's going to get five conservation points, the other person's going to get two, that's a big swing. Whereas if another one is a five versus four, well, I can deal with getting second place in that one because it's only a one point difference. The real competition is on that five, two spot. So I'm trying to focus on that. And yet I'm also trying to tinker around with the maps. I know the starting eight matter. And yet you're constantly whipping the hell out of me. what's, What's the seasoning? What you got? Get good, son. Thank you. Scott. <laughs> Scott, I beat you pretty often, but
1: you took me down the last time we played, too. What's your secret sauce? Getting those conservation products, uh, products, projects, mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. was the big thing there. And I was able to get the elephants that gave me a, a, an extra final scoring card as well. So that oh, yeah. also gave me more of the conservation points at the end. And that really helped out a lot. And I think this is what I like about playing it on here is arc nova is a table hog it will take up a huge piece of real estate lots of stuff to put out and having the ability to play it online and play it quickly and no setup no teardown i think that's what makes it so so nice to go back to and revisit it and you can play a game of it maybe 35 40 minutes or so If you're playing with Jason, you can get a game done in about a month.
0: (laughs) One play a morning, sometimes one play an evening.
1: (laughs) But yeah, I I think that that's something that I learned with this is how important those conservation products are. You said products again. (laughs) Projects, not products.
0: (laughs) Tell you what, there's a timing element going on here too. And I'm finding when I lose to Ryan, uh, which is most times that we play – Oftentimes I have myself set up and I'm like, okay, I can score five on this one in hand and then I can use X tokens and I can score a bunch on this one in hand." like I'll be set up for the next three rounds uh, or the next, the next three times that I can use an association action. I'm I'm putting up points, but once you hit that 50 or 60 point range, the end game, like the amount of turns you have left is, is much smaller than what I thought it was going to be Mm -hmm. like that first. Significantly. Yeah. I'll break it in into a time factor. Let's suppose that the game is a two-hour game. The first hour is maybe, I don't know, 20% of your scoring or, or something. Like, Like you do an awful lot of scoring really quickly. You know, the game crescendos. Once all the cards are upgraded, you start pulling in money. It's like, boom, 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 and... and Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> I try that again. No, I, I have to agree. Yeah, the, the game at the very end... Well, it depends on if you're stuck or not. Like, if you have no more projects to finish... <laughs> Then, uh, yeah, you're usually at that point, you're kind of stuck and you're just trying to work out how can I just play like two or three more animals just to cross that 100 point mark. I am not by any means a strategist as far as this game is concerned. The only way that I know that I've played is at the beginning, always use your association action, at least on the board before the round flips over from break. Before the break, yeah. Yeah, before the break. Secondly, don't leave yourself in a situation where you have no money because if your opponent has things that they can do and you sick yourself with zero money at the beginning of the game, there's really no way to get more money other than the association at not the association, I'm sorry, the um, sponsorship action and do it just for money. I do tend to use that just to get some money and also to cross the break so that I can also get an X token. But at the same time, until then, My opponent's like, oh, I can do anything. I can stall if I want to. I can use my sponsorship action to play an actual sponsorship card instead of getting money and
0: advancing the break just because my opponent can't do anything. Yeah, there's times where you see that the other guy is stuck until the break. So it's like, I'm going to take a build action and I'm going to make a a kiosk. And then I still have $8. (laughs) So as long as they're stuck, I'm going to take a build from the one pavilion. Build from the one pavilion. Yeah, Use that chance for setup. But yeah, that's
2: a, that's all I can say about Art Nova. Pat, you haven't been talking recently. What
0: have you I been am playing? always talking. All I, dude, <laughs> I don't shut up. I edit this thing and I'm like, holy crap, I talk too much. <laughs> I mean, you are, you you know are one of the main hosts. <laughs> you know what we'll do? Let's take a breather because this one I owe to Brown
1: Castle. One of the most popular games in the hobby and the oldest in the BGG Top 100 is Crokinole. And at level up, we're big fans. Oh yeah. Most of our meetups have a crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott. And along with your board, Brown Castle has
0: the best Crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders, the
1: carrying case, they make the best. Yes, they do. Adventurers, you know our style. When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively Uh for Adventurers, get 5% off anything and everything from Brown Castle games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5. L-E-V-E-L, the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com. All
0: right, boys, I want to talk about a game from Cole and Joe Banning from Grimoire Games. This is a 2023 release that I first saw at Origins. This is Wizards of of the Grimoire. Uh, Grimoire.
2: That's the game we played Friday
0: night, isn't it? Groom, yes, yes. Okay, so this is the game that we played Friday night when you came in. I've been playing this one with Lana online and in person at PGX, and I'm still. I got an async game going now. Telling you what this. Well, we'll find out if it's good. So we, uh, I met Cole and Joe back at Origins. I think it was Will. A uh, good old hungry gamer kind came over to me. He's like, dude, you got to check this game out. It's pretty good. I think three or four of us actually left with a copy. Scott, you showed up at SCG. You plopped a game down. And I was like, that's Wizards of the Grimoire. Go, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Touche, King. Touche. And you said, I even brought it into my car right now. Yeah, I had it there, too. <laughs> so originally, this thing's on Kickstarter. And it didn't even hit 500 backers. Follow those backers because they know how to pick a gem. Mm -hmm. What is Wizards of the Grimoire? This is a two-player card game. Thematically, two wizards battling out to determine who's going to become the next keeper of the grimoire. Yes, okay. So it's kind of a theme that we've seen before, but it's tried and true. Gameplay. You've got two decks. One's got mana cards, one has spells. You're gonna set up a market with 10 of these spells in the middle of the table. Each player draws three mana, and you're basically ready to go. So the goal of the game, get your opponent from 60 to zero everybody starts with 60 life you're gonna be throwing damage at them on a turn you're gonna to get to pick a single spell from that market of 10 and put it in front of you and get a new spell into the middle to replace the one that you took then you get to draw your three mana cards that spell you took it's in your player area something that you can do on your turns moving forward and spells are easy to figure out a mana cost is simply a number that's how many individual mana cards do you have to put down in order to use the card to activate it if you resolve your spell then at the end of the turn, you can discard a mana card to deal damage to the other player equal to the number value on the mana card. See, they all got numbers, one to four on them. The numbers are relevant when you're casting spells. If a spell activates with two mana cards, it doesn't care if you're discarding a one or a four. You just set down any two cards in front of it. But for this basic attack at the end of the turn, that's when the number actually matters. Next turn, you get to draw a new spell from the middle. But then, and this is where the game rocks, that spell that you activated last turn Let's say you put three mana uh, mana cards on it to do what it says. Remove one of those cards. That's how you emulate like a cooldown. Okay, that's the basics. Easy to learn. What do you guys think of Wizards of the Grand? Scott, I know you have
1: a copy. Have you gotten to play it yet? I set it up and just went through the turns and everything on my uh, by myself, but I have not played a game I actually against somebody.
3: Tomorrow, tomorrow something, something BGA. i'm
1: really looking forward to mm. i was about
3: to say mm-hmm.
0: async on bga for sure yeah. yeah it's so easy to learn ryan you and i played i'll, I'll defer to you Oh, sure. It was a great game, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: you can have up to six spells, and you might think that the only strategy is to build up all just attack spells to do some damage, but no, there's other things that you need to keep in consider. For example, you might not have enough mana cards to be able to cast these spells. So like, there's like recovery spells, which are green, which gets you more mana cards, or steals mana cards from your opponent. There's also purple ongoing cards that may give you benefits for the next time you do a spell. It might reduce the cost. It might mm-hmm. add extra damage to depending on what you did. It can also do damage based on how many cards you have or spells you have that already have mana on them. And also there's ways to get mana back off of your cards too. So there's like a really cool card that Patrick played against me, which I think won him the game, which is he can put a mana on the card. And whenever you put the mana on the card, you get to remove a mana from another card. So yeah, that was a cool one. He got like his two cost spells. He managed to uh, reset them back to zero cooldown in the next turn, which he just kept on walloping me with that same combo of two cards. And at the same time, he had a support from four other cards as well. So, like, he just kept on hitting me with this combo plus a bunch of other things. But, yeah, it was... I, I feel like in the very small sense of the word, it's kind of like Arc Nova, where like once you find a combo, go for it. In this game, yeah, once you find the combo of cards that you want, yeah, that's definitely what you're going to go for. This is one of those games where if you like trying to find multiple different combos, the replayability is way up there. If we had to do an 8-bit breakdown, yeah, replayability, way up there. That's that's what Way I'd say. up
0: there. So those spells, yeah. you're going to see 10 in that starting market. They come from a deck that has, I should have gotten the number, it's probably 50 or 60 spells yeah, in that there. stack you're going to see 10 in the opener and by the end of the game you might see 20 and how about this every one of them is unique so i'm playing a game online against lana uh, lana i came to find she it's oh. lana so i'm still going to call her lana and i'm going to slip so i'm playing a game and i have one card that's like activate this and you can put two mana from your hand on top of the deck to hit your opponent for four and then i found another card that's like activate this draw the top mana from the deck and then draw more mana equal to the number on that first card. So, okay, activate the first one. I'll put a one and a four on top. Activate the other one, reveal the four, draw four more mana cards. Suddenly, it's like, I've drawn eight this turn. I can cast anything. This game is tremendous. If there's any flaw, any flaw, they went with a really high-quality card, a really thick, thick card. Now, (laughs) believe me, I like them thick. I well, like them well, thick. Well, <laughs> right. But they For don't have like a linen finish. Home, that's two on <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> That's two innuendous, whimsical <laughs> jokes. They they have the glossy finish, not like the linen air cushion finish on the card, which normally I'd say, who gives a crap? Suddenly now I give a crap because they're really hard to shuffle. It's really hard to just draw one. You got to sleeve this thing is the point. But tremendous, tremendous game. Wizards of the Grimoire. I'm going to be playing this one for a while. King, you got something to, something to interject I gotta here. I got to say
1: as well. Mm-hmm. This is our first game, isn't it? This or-
0: is the one and only Grimoire Games game.
1: The artwork is stunning in this thing. Oh, oh yeah. Instead, each oh, card yeah. is separate, right. each one is unique, and the artwork is just top notch. It is absolutely gorgeous. So, you really got to um, take your hat off and give a salute to, uh, let me see here Luciano Javier Carrera, Roxonu Duhu, Pedro Kruger. <laughs> Oh, Gabriel Lopez, and two other ones. <laughs>
0: well, you're not even going to give them their, their names, their slaughtered names? I said Cole and Joe Banning. You owe it to Anderton, these orders.
1: Oluvera, and Wahoo
0: Wagner. Um, I was sure the last guy's name was going to be like Joe Smith.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they just knocked it out of the park with the artwork in this game. Really, absolutely gorgeous.
0: Find some It's Sarah McLaughlin again, urging you to support the Level Up Board Game podcast with a five-star rating on iTunes. These poor podcasters suffer.
3: (laughs) Cut Uh it out!
2: (laughs) King! you had a game you wanted to talk about.
1: Please carry on with that. Yes, yes. So, uh, well, this one just happened to fall in my lap here, PGX. I was walking down our aisle back to our booth, Whoa, what is this? And I ran into a booth there from Scorelander Games, and they had their game, Bat Flip, by Scott Courtlander. So they call it a team shuffling baseball card game. So whenever it comes to sports games, I get a little tied up, and I'm like, oh, this looks kind of good here. I'm going to check this out. So I took a look at it. They gave me a quick rundown. I looked at the cards. The cards have fantastic artwork on them. Yeah. I was like, okay, here, here's my card. Give me the game. So in the main box, you get eight different teams to play with. Then there's also an expansion that they have that gives you four more games. So each one of them will have nine different players plus three pitchers. What you're going to do is you have a home field and an away field. Draw five cards. You take a look at your cards You figure out what you want to play. If you have a pitcher in hand, you can play a pitcher down there. That will give you uh, certain abilities to do. You go to play a batter. Well, you have a batting stat, a stealing stat, a walk stat, and a defense stat. So those are all listed across the bottom. So it's really quite simple here. Okay, I'm going to play Nate look He's a catcher from the Seattle Scouts. You take a look at the hit stat, which is two. Well, you take a look at the defense stat of what your opponent's going to be playing. Well, if their defense stat is over two, guess what? You're out. If it's under two, you get to move a number of bases equal to the difference between the two. Now, I know, Ryan, you and I talked about this. It was very similar to Baseball Highlights 2045, correct? Yeah, one of my favorite two-player games. I think it is very similar to it. But I think it really stands out with the artwork in this. It makes it a lot of fun. I mean, the artwork is very kinetic, really, really bright artwork. Scott, it, I don't know what kinetic means. It looks like it's in action.
0: Uh, I mean, thank you. Uh,
1: let's see. Well, yeah, at, but it doesn't have cyborgs in it. <laughs> look at cyborgs tool shed. He's really ratching for oh, yeah. for that ball. You've got ratching? dairy tools. He's knocking that ball out of the park. Look at that. It's really very simple to get into play. You take two teams, you shuffle them together. There's your team that you're going to be playing with. Your opponent takes two different teams, shuffles them together. There's their team they're going to be playing with. It's something that doesn't take up a lot of room, very much like Wizards of the Grimoire. Easy to take with you no matter where you're going. You can play a game in maybe 20 minutes. You could set up a mini tournament if you want to, very similar to Baseball Highlights 2045. Lots of fun. And once again, like I said, I get sucked in on a lot of these sports type of games here. First and goal, that pizza box, football I had, all these different things really draw me in. So this one drew me in and I'm glad I stopped and picked up a copy of it. I definitely want to play this with you. Like I said, uh, baseball highlights
2: is one of my favorite two-player games, and it's—I mean, thinking about it, as far as sports is concerned, it's probably my favorite sports game. So I I definitely want to give this a shot to see all the differences. But again, it doesn't have cyborgs, so you know, I'm already a little disinterested. (laughs) (laughs) Did you guys collect? Definitely be
1: in the bag going to packs with me. Love it. Did you guys collect baseball cards when you were kids? No. (sighs) I was a bit odd in that i didn't really <laughs> what it was was i had a cousin who was very close in age to me and his grandmother always oh, felt like yeah. if one had something the other one had to mm-hmm. so if she bought him baseball cards she would buy me baseball cards but then it was the other way around it didn't work all that great because whenever she buy me star wars figures he would get the star wars figures he wouldn't want them so i'd be like I'll take those. Thank you very I'll much. I'll trade you
0: some baseball cards for your your, uh, your R2D2. <laughs> so, I remember like, having like a collection of baseball cards and I would set them out on a bed in like a diamond. Like, oh, I want this guy as my catcher. And like, almost like building a fantasy team, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like who's going to be where on the field. And I always thought, man, it'd be cool to make a game out of, that, out of doing this sort of thing. And I look at the Nerd. stats on the back and be like, how can we make this into a game? This is like eight-year-old me. So the game would would have sucked anyway. But you know, People making these things, they did that too. And they found a way. That's,
1: I want that to play this. They did that, they did. <laughs> but yeah, check out Batflip from Scorelander Games. Really, very, very cool implementation of their team shuffling baseball card game.
2: All right. Well, I got one more to talk about if you guys don't mind. Oh, please. <laughs> So there's an interesting story that people like in uh, New Yorkers know about and it talks about this mob boss and what he did. He set up a pizza parlor, but it wasn't supposed to be, you know, for him going into the pizza business. It's really a front for him to do mob business dealings, like in the back rooms or whatever. What? And people would just come in and order pizzas. Ooh. However, pretty soon though, this pizza shop, it got really popular pretty oh, soon, no. <laughs> pretty soon. It was a, it was a, uh, a full on business. and The mob boss was like, I'm done with the criminal world. I'm actually making a good amount of profit doing the pizza business. So he uh, successfully went into the pizza business and has you know quit the mob basically. So now there's a game that's similar to do this. Something similar actually like happened years ago in Prohibition era in Harlem in about 1923. There was a Not guy right. named Oni Madden. He was a gangster and he established what's known as the Cotton Club. Uh, It was really a front to smuggle and sell booze with gangsters like Al Capone and, you know, know, those names that you hear Mm -hmm. about during Prohibition. Yeah, those gangsters were really, really big up into this for the booze business in the background. However, the club that he established managed to pull in some entertainers that you guys might know, like Duke Ellington, Cab Calloway, Louis Armstrong. I know that one. Yeah, and pretty soon it became like Jazz Central of New York City. Everyone knew about the Cotton Club. So in the board game Geek Store, there was a game called 1923 Cotton Club. So I picked it up. Uh, Let me tell you about it. So in this game, you're building up the reputation of your club by hiring gangsters to provide protection for you and build an income with the booze that you smuggle in. Now, you're getting this income, and you're going to use it to hire famous entertainers, and eventually some celebrities will want to visit the club because of your reputation. I'm going to say it's kind of like Splendor in that you're collecting these cards, which all of these cards have tags on them, like, for example, uh, Chardonnay or other kinds of booze, for example, or like a microphone. Those, Those are the tags that you're going to get in these cards. Now, you're going to use these tags to reduce the cost of how much it costs to get a celebrity to visit your establishment. So celebrities have tags too, but it's actually part of the cost, not what they provide. Let me give you an example. You know, the actress and the singer Mae West. Mm -hmm. She's actually in this game. She requires 12 reputation for her to visit your club. So you would normally have to spend a full 12 reputation. However, on her card is a dance shoe icon and two whiskey icons. And what that means is the cost of the reputation to invite her is reduced by one for every dance shoe that you have in your tableau. And it's reduced huh. by two for every whiskey icon in your tableau because there's two whiskey icons. Oh, okay. So if you have, for example, two dance shoes and three whiskeys. So the three whiskeys uh, times two is six, and the two dance shoes by one is eight. So, um, well, put together is eight. So you would only have to spend four reputation to bring her into your club and get you a mass ton of points. And that's that's why I feel like this is like a step up from how Splendor works it. Now, I love jazz. I have it playing at work in the background all the time. The whole spiel of like a Duke, Ar- uh, Duke Ellington and all that. Some well, Ron R&D playing there. jazz flute. Yeah. So and also, <laughs> hey, the movie. The movie Cotton Club, if you've not seen it, it's also really great. It's got like Richard Gere in it. Yep. It's got like Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is in it. And so is Bob Hoskins, by the way. Bob Hoskins plays his Oni event in this movie. This game really spoke to me. I really enjoy it. The theme is just wonderful to me. It's not too difficult to learn. And again, if you like g- Splendor, but you just want a little bit more, then this is a good
1: choice. I'm, I'm just going to suggest it. If you like Splendor at all, and you just want a little bit more. I'm intrigued by this. I like the idea of the Cotton Club. I, that, I think, just in its general makeup, is really an interesting idea. Making a game out of it, it really piques my interest as to how they would do that. So I'm I'm anxious to, to check that one out. That's cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, sounds like a really interesting theme. <laughs>
1: He's trying to play jazz on his horn. <laughs> <laughs> good
0: transition.
1: Nice try, pal.
0: It's time for the top 100 update. Guys, we got some prime movers. Today's review game, Eclipse, second on for the Galaxy, is up two spots at number 19. Spoiler alert, woo, it's a woo. really good game. Sleeping Gods up two spots at number 52. Frosthaven up two spots at number 55. 12 games dropped a spot, but we don't have to list them all. Nothing new in the top 100, but top 10 trends... Gloomhaven falls, Gloomhaven Jaws the little Lion, falls a spot to number eight because it got bumped down by Dune Imperium, taking oh, the number yes. seven spot. New highest peaks, of course, then Dune Imperium at number seven. And of course, Eclipse second on for the galaxy at number 19. Cascadia up to number 45. Sleeping Gods at 52. Frosthaven at 55. Das Soich for Planet X is up to number 90. Happy birthdays. <laughs> We got a whole bunch at three years. We got Barrage, we got Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, and Clank Legacy Acquisitions Acquisitions Incorporated. (laughs) All at three years, and we find The Voyages of Marco Polo, eight years. Happy birthday. This
1: is like the NFL Draft of 84 with all those big games there dropping all at the same time.
0: Was that uh, the John Elway, Dan Marino Draft? Mm hmm. Designed by Tuko Takokayo and released in 2021. Published by Lutopolite, Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy is a space-faring 4X game. Alright, Adventures, we've had a handful of medium-weight games as the feature review of late, so we're going to do things a little bit different. Going to kick it up a notch. Enter Eclipse Second Dawn. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to try and explain the game without being boring as hell, so we're not going to know every little detail by the end of this. Hopefully, though, you'll have a good idea of what's going to happen in the game while it's on your table. The goal of the game is to score the most points. You do it through researching tech, controlling territories, and even fighting. So, some quick setup. Each player is going to get a player board with an asymmetric faction. You get a bunch of cool little ship minis, and you get your influence tokens and your economy cubes. And I got to say, they all come in your own personal tray, and the lid functions as the resource tracker, money, minerals, technology. It's all on top of there. It's tracked on that lid, and that is remarkably well done. Now, for the main board. Look, you've probably played some space war games before, or at least seen them on the table. It's exactly what you're going to expect. Hex tiles, some with player factions, uh, many stacked off to the side of the table waiting to be explored, and a big old Death Star in the center tile, which of course is going to have significant rewards for being claimed and holding on to it. Now, the gameplay. What do you actually do on a turn? Uh, let's break it down. There's six primary actions. One, you can move. That's easy. We don't really need to uh, need to elaborate on that one. Two, build. Now, well, that's spending minerals to build ships. Also easy research spend some of your researchy resources of learning research to get a technology token okay so we got to elaborate on this one a little bit the game's going to start with several randomly selected technology tiles that you can get and more are going to be added every turn you just take the tile that you want you pay for it you put it in the tech area of your player board so not so bad next up is explore This is selecting an adjacent area to one of your tiles, drawing a new one, and placing it in the empty spot next to it. Typically, that tile is going to have a planet and some resources, like income available for you, which you can immediately take by placing an influence disc on it. Plus, boost your economy by putting those cubes into the resource spots. Sometimes though, this tile is going to be protected by a GIANT MONSTER. In which case, you gotta kill it first. Also, when exploring, I really like the wormholes on the tiles. You have these, like, semi-circles on various edges of each tile, and the only thing that has to match is that whenever you pick a new tile, you're going to point to an area next to your tile. Okay, well, that's where you're exploring from. You've got to match up that wormhole. Other than that, you kind of get to set the boundaries. If your opponent's on the opposite side, well, just rig it in a way so that the wormholes aren't connected. There's a fence. It's like a wall they can't get through. In that way, the players get to create the space. Okay, okay, hang in there, we got a couple more actions. The fifth option is upgrading, and this is what makes Eclipse sexy. You know all that research you've been doing? Well, some of those technologies are actually upgrades for your ships. You see, each ship has several upgradable slots, and all of your ship types are depicted on the top of your player board. Four different ships for each player. Using your upgrade to add mega shields to your dreadnoughts? Hey, just take that mega shield token out of the sweet upgrade storage container and place it into a slot on your dreadnought. In this way, players are going to end up with massively asymmetric ships based on how they want to spec them out. Finally, the last action is an influence action. Keeping it simple, sometimes this is going to be necessary to shift which planet you're controlling, or to manage your actions and economy. A game round in Eclipse sees players taking actions one at a time until everyone passes at which point, get ready to rumble. Any spaces that have opposing factions or a player in a battle with like one of the NPC baddies, we're going to resolve combat. Not much need to detail how combat's going to be executed, just know it's done with dice. After 8 rounds, players tally up their points, and the high score wins the game. Now again, there's a ton of nuance and interactions surrounding this very brief overview, but hopefully this gives you a sense of how Eclipse is going to play out when it hits your table. How did it fare whilst on ours? Let's find out in the 8-bit breakdown of Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy.
3: The Galaxy has been a peaceful place for many years. After the ruthless Terran hegemony war, much effort has been employed by all major spacefaring species to prevent the terrifying events from repeating themselves. The Galactic Council was formed to enforce precious peace, and it has taken many courageous efforts to prevent the escalation of malicious acts. Nevertheless, tension and discord are growing among the seven major species and in the Council itself. Old alliances are shattering, and hasty diplomatic treaties are made in secrecy. A confrontation of the superpowers seems inevitable. Only the outcome of the galactic conflict remains to be seen. Which faction will emerge victorious and lead the galaxy under its rule? The shadows of the great civilizations are about to eclipse the galaxy. Lead your people to victory!
2: Adventurers, this is the part of the show where we have ourselves an 8-bit breakdown of the game of the day. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to break it down to 8-bits, and the first one is going to be art and components. Who wants to take the floor for this one? I'll take it. Pick me, pick me, pick me. me. (laughs) Well, Patrick, you were just saying how you talk a lot. Scott, I want you to go first. All right.
1: So, art and components. I'm going to be completely honest. I walked into this. Well, shit. Twilight Imperium all over again. But it's not. I like this one. Each one of the races that you're going to be playing, they have different ships, different looking ships. You have the ancients that are going to be coming in and... and messing with you that are protecting different areas of the universe there are different ships all these things are different you have different races like crazy you have one side of your player eight that has i think it's the terran empire the other side is something completely different the hexes that you put out even just the little things where you put the cubes to collect your resources i think stands out very well everything about the art really just drew me in it it was something that was very energetic very bright and i just really enjoyed the look of what i was coming into play so who wants to take the next one next part here yeah i'll take it elephant right. in
0: the room Elephant in the room is your little economy tray. Remember, that's got like all your pieces fit in You're it. Right. So all those little discs, all those little cubes, they fit inside the tray. And the lid that sits on top of it holds everything together. But whenever you take it out, that's also three dials that are inset. You put a card on top of that with holes punched in it. So you can inset your cubes to track what you have. The outside of it is slightly inset for three little trackers. Three little pointers that you just move and it's got numbers, almost like a score tracker going around your little personal economic tracking board tray lid. Everything is so well done on that. I think it's top notch. The ships, as you said, all, all different. I like that. I didn't find it super colorful. And there's honestly, there's not a lot of artwork once you get going. But the components, dude, the storage solutions for this game, not just the fact that you can store the game exquisitely, but things like the tray where you're setting the technologies. They've got a little bump in the middle. So if you need to pick one up and it's sitting down in that trough, you just push your finger on one side. They make everything practical. It's like there wasn't an area where they didn't think, how do we make this? Really good components are, you know, it's hard to say. Oh, these are the best components in every game. The new castles of Burgundy, we'll say Tainted Grail. There, just there is a threshold where once you hit a certain standard, it doesn't matter if you are any better than that certain standard. It's like, okay, we get it. This game is top notch in components, and Eclipse meets that standard. Top notch components, Ryan.
2: Oh yes, I totally agree. I wish that there was a like a double-layered board because the discs that you place on your personal board does have a, a tendency to move around a lot. The good thing about that though is you're moving it around quite often yourself, and so like that's true. Trying to keep it inset into uh, specific locations is probably going to be in its own job something to keep an eye on. So that would probably be a little difficult to make a second insert. Another thing to talk about too is some of the tiles if they have like certain stars or like the galactic rings around them. They are shiny. So like when you look at the game board from a certain angle, you just see this nice design going around it from those tiles. I don't know if you like noticed a gloss that finish. Like, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, and the got components that, I think are great.
0: You got that big old baseball thing in the middle of the table, the uh the that ACDC, the, the
2: GCDS, the Global <laughs> Combat
0: <laughs> Defense System. Oh, what a cool little system. miniature yeah. they got going there. Now I understand. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. It's like a city. Fantastic, fantastic miniature that is in the middle. If I had any complaints as far as components go, every one of the ships has a little hole in the bottom so you can use one of those clear stands so that all of your ships are like floating above the board on top of the clear stand. That was an add-on that I understand is kind of expensive for what it is, so I ain't buying it. But now I got a whole bunch of ships with a hole in the bottom for the stand, and I'm like, oh man! It looks like there's 36 that come in a set
2: because I think it's about nine per player, and mm-hmm. the cheapest set I could find online at one point in time was
0: about 35 dollars for a set of 36 plastic stands. You could probably get those on Game Crafter for like a dime a piece, probably. So, uh, real quick aside, Game Crafter Adventures. This is a website where, like, if you want to proxy up a game or prototype a game, that's where you can go get pieces. Like, I need 106. Wooden cubes. You can go to Game Crafter and, you know, you're buying 106, they're 7 cents a piece. And do the math. Oh, I also need uh, this. You can do custom cards, custom boxes, all sorts of things. But you can get things like standees, standee holders, any little bit that you might need in a game, you can find it there. So when I say Game Crafter, you might be able to get those little stands. from. You know, I'm going to look into it because I want them now. I was about <laughs> to say, it sounds like you want a sponsorship. <laughs> no, well, hey, if GameCraft were sponsors guys, let's talk theme and immersion. Bit number right. two, thematically, thematically, we got a big old space battle going on. I don't think it's anything new, but immersion. I love the exploration on this game. In this game, where you're flipping the tiles, there might be an ancient there. I love that you can like as you explore, you get to dictate where the where the walls of the galaxy. are. It's not preset. Like you have to actively create what your galaxy looks like. You can't help but get a bit immersed in this as you're, as you're upgrading ships, you get to kind of envision, you know what? I don't have dreadnoughts. I have really powerful fighters with mega cannons. Yeah. They die with one hit, but that's who we are. And you get to make that every game. I was totally immersed in the theme, the theme, you know, it's, it's space battle. I'll, uh, I'll defer to you
1: guys. You go ahead, Scott. The whole idea of being able to set down the boundaries of where you're going to be putting things, how the wormholes are going to work, how the galaxies uh, or the universes fit together. I really, really like that. I like how each one of the races, you really get into how they work. I mean, I looked at it real quick. I remember telling you, Ryan, this reminds me of the uh, replicators from Stargate, the race that I was playing. The ships were kind of angular, they're kind of squarish at times. I really like that because then, boom, I'm immersed into my race and what I'm uh, going to be playing. And I'm trying to think, I'm going to play that way. I really enjoyed every factor of the race and the immersion of getting into this here. Granted, once again, I'm not a big person on Forex games. So, I was a little tentative going into this, but it turned out to be quite a, a, a bit more fun than I expected. What about you, Ryan? Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, as far as theme is concerned, it's a space battle. You know, there's only so far you can go with that. A, a lot of gamers do that. Um, so as far as the theme is concerned, it's not really different. However, immersion is a different thing to talk about. There are some races where I feel like immersion is huge. And this is going to be an asymmetric thing where, for example, the planta, the planta just
0: want to grow. They're
2: oh, like, Yeah,
1: you're seeing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The,
1: the planta, planta just want planta, to grow.
0: Don't you want to plant a plant? Sorry.
2: But no, uh, so the planta, the, they have, um, so there's asymmetric abilities I don't, um, that was talked about in the walkthrough. However, the planta is ma- uh, one major one I want to talk about. I think that it's, less about the immersion for some of the races. So for example, Mike was playing a race the other day that their asymmetric thing was that he started with 28 gold thematically by the way he had already conquered a planet right before joining this battle and that's mm-hmm. all the asymmetrics that mike's grace had there's nothing really immersive about that however planta uh, like i was talking about a little bit ago the planta just want to grow and grow and grow they literally are like a, a plant kind of or growing vines race so they have an asymmetric ability where every time they do an explore action they can explore twice which is insane oh. If you leave planta to itself to go do his thing, it's going to win just on process of how many planets they have conquered in general for at the end of the game, they're going to have a good amount of points just from conquering Mm -hmm. planets. So you can't leave the planta by themselves, but they don't really battles, So like their ships are not strong really at all. They don't start m- uh, with much tech at all. They literally just have the ability to explore well. So if you leave them on their own and they block everybody off, you better find a way to get through around the center area to get to them or else they're going to control the board. But like, you really feel like you're a plant race trying to grow when you're the planta. So like, I feel like the different races, there's different immersion levels, uh, and that's just my take on it. Sure, Pat, sure. Yeah, Pat, you were playing as the uh, race that really wants to be militaristic. And yeah, I it was the totally, Sardak Nor. Yeah, you could totally get into that race. Um, that's also <laughs> an immersive race. Probably not as much as Planta,
1: in my opinion. Just depends on who you're playing as. Whenever are saying the Planta, all I think about is Jason the Wheeled Warriors. That cartoon the from that? the 80s.
0: Oh, that's an old one. Oh, that's I old just man, look at I that
1: and you're like, you're fighting against him. Oh, man, this just opens up a whole new thing in my head about how to play this game. <laughs>
0: there's something immersive about flip it like okay in a lot of games you flip a tile and that's not an immersive thing you just you see what's under it however in this game because so there's so much that happens as a result of it you may be able to take that place take control of the planet that's there because it's empty it's in an outer sector maybe there's an ancient there like oh man we found this place but there's this creature there's you know it's already under control we've got to deal with this threat before we can take it uh, that you get to adjust the orientation of the tiles i think that's neat but on top of that that little token that you get in the middle sometimes that's going to give yep. this bevy of wealth sometimes it's a tech it's just a big old gun and it's like holy crap we found this planet and look they have this they have this new uh we'll say a mineral and that's that that emulates that oh you just got a bunch of cash sometimes it's tech oh it's a lost civilization here and and they had the ability to do this and we picked it up that in and of itself, it kind of tells a story without giving you words, without giving you a card to read. There's implied narrative when you explore a tile. And I thought that was really where the bulk of it came out. We should point out that whole, like, well, it's space battle. That's nothing new. You know what? A lot of folks, myself included, that's all I need for theme. That's plenty. You tell me it's a random space battle. I'm like, okay, thematically, I'm in love. Oh, uh, man. And quite frankly, in this case, I am. Let's move to bit number three, the complexity Okay. So the complexity in this one comes from a few places. One, you have to understand the economy, the way that the economy works between the research track, the minerals track, and also your income, your actual spendies, your cash, right? You have to understand how to manage that. And a lot of that is going to be tied to your, basically your action economy. You've got these discs, all right? You got a row of numbers on the bottom of your board and a bunch of discs that sit on top of those numbers. And those numbers go up as you go further to the right. So when you remove a disc from that track, you're going to have a larger number. And at the end of your turn, that's how much money you have to spend. So as your empire gets bigger, you're going to end up having to spend more money to maintain it. That's that's a concept that is, you know, first of all, I like it because it keeps people in check. It tries to rein in the snowball effect of somebody running away with the game. Well, they expanded, they have all the resources, now they're just crushing us. Well, it costs them a lot of those resources every turn just to retain them, right? Like the Roman Empire got too big to maintain itself. That's kind of what it emulates. That economy, the, the way that, that that economy and the action selection works, that's going to introduce a bit of complexity that uh, that I think is different enough. That for me it was like, oh, okay, I need to I need to really understand this in order to, to grok this game. Aside from that, there is some complexity in this the space combat, not so much with things like initiative and rolling dice, but as you're playing, there's in-game complexity in that, like we'll say we're playing a game of Axis and Allies. If I have 10 tanks and Scott's got two, I'm gonna beat him. In this one, if I've got, I don't know, we'll say 10 ships versus two. A lot of it depends on the upgrades on those ships. Like, I'm so used to being able to looking at the size of the plastic on the board versus the other guy's plastic, and being able to just, oh, okay, so this person's going to win, or I can, I can defend here. I know it because I've got way more forces than they do. In this one, not necessarily because you're upgrading ships, and your two ships might be significantly more powerful than somebody else's seven, and you might be able to take them down with. Nary a scratch on the side of the hall. Scott, what do you think about complexity?
1: Well, I'm not going to wax as poetic as you did just there with the complexity, but this game <laughs> is plays out over, what, eight rounds it was? That's right. Yeah, it's going to probably take you two rounds to wrap your head around everything as you're playing. But it does work out quite well. You get the idea of how things go. The biggest thing is, upgrading your ships i think and that i think is the complexity because you get to start upgrading your ships i know at one point in time i upgraded mine and i'm like all right i'm gonna go in and attack and ryan just looks at me and goes no you're not I'm like what are you talking about <laughs> well look at the energy yeah i have four energy well how much can you uh make Three? Oh, it Can't does look gun. a little overwhelming at times but in its base form it's really quite simple to get into playing this game this is one of those games that people are going to walk past they're going to look at wow i could never play that game because it is just look at all that stuff oh my goodness a lot of bits it doesn't unnecessarily make it more complex to play with all those bits It in the base form it's just very easy take a look at your numbers do they add up Okay, you're good. Is your number lower than what you can pay for? Okay, you're fine. It's really a very basic, simple system that the whole game is based on, but they add on things to a point that it looks like something more complex than what it really is. So it's it may not look inviting, but really when you sit down and start playing it, it's a pretty inviting 4 game. Well,
2: you know, as far as I'm concerned, the part that's complex about the game, I will more delve into when we talk about learning curve got um, aside it. from that so th- i feel like there's complexity in the learning curve and so like i'll wait till we get to that bit before i expand you know
0: on that let's do it right now rule book and learning curve you got the rule book and then you can lead off learning curve ryan Sounds good. I have the rulebook in my hand right here for those of you who can't see,
2: which is pretty much everyone listening. <laughs> That's uh, literally everyone but us. Exactly. Can you guys, <laughs> Adventures, can you hear the rule? Give us a page display. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes if you're able to see the <laughs> rulebook. <laughs> uh, the rulebook is quite thick. I still love like them thick. Oh, there we go. That's number three, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got to shot off his mic now. We'll give it to him for now. <laughs> this rulebook is quite thick. There are six actions that you can take in a given turn. The rulebook goes into very, very good detail. In fact, I feel like in some cases it might go into too much detail to the point where you might be second guessing how it works. I had that feeling when it talked about the influence action. So the influence action in all basic necessity is literally if you have two of your influence tokens flipped over, you may flip them back over. And then you have the option of adding two discs, removing two discs, or one of each. When I said that when we were in the middle of playing the game, it made sense. However, in the rule book, it goes into quite a bit of detail and it talks about like where you can remove it from, what you do with that disc, where you can place it, what causes Things to happen. It goes into a lot of mini specific details. In general, if you're a gamer, when you read this rule book, you're going to be like, well, that was a lot of extra extra text that didn't need to be there. But that could also be really, really good for some people. That way they don't miss anything. Uh, I'm one of those people that work in an industry in IT where uh, I have to explain things step by step. I was like, you click this button here, it will take you to this page. And this page, look to the right, and you click this button. I have to be very specific as far as that's concerned. So I can understand why this rulebook would do the same. It it's got to cover th- everything. it it covers everything to a T. The best thing I think about the rulebook, by the way, is it has an appendix of what every single tech tile is, what every single um, advancement tile it is, what discovery tiles, what they do. It even has a page for just the backgrounds of each of the races that you can play as. And on the other side, it explains every asymmetric starting thing that changes with you and everything that you can do. It is very, very specific with the details, and that makes this a fantastic rulebook for anybody who's just trying to get into, I'd, I'd say, this kind of game. So that's the rule book. So I did talk about in the last one that uh, I'm going to talk about the complexity in the learning curve. Mm-hmm. The complexity in the game is in the learning curve. It is one of those things where the six actions are pretty basic. They really sure, are. Sure. Yeah. Some of them have very specific additional rules. So for example, when you explore, you take a hex tile and you put it on the board. But there are a lot of nuances to think about when you're talking about that. Number one, the warp gates need to be next to each other. Number two, well, before you do that, you have to point where you're moving from and what hex or empty space that you're going to move it to. It has that to have way we know hole. you're lining up wormhole there. Yep, exactly then you have to take the specific hex tile that matches that quadrant or that number, which is like one, two, or three. Then you have to place it so that the warp tiles are connected so that you create a complete wormhole. Number four, depending on what's shown on that tile, you have to, you can do a couple of things. If there's no enemies, then you can get a discovery tile if they're on there. You know, there's just a lot of little nuances that come with each action. So it's I a, feel yeah, like- I'm going cross-eyed here, Ryan. I know, right? It's <laughs> one of those things where you have to think about, once you do an action, you want to try to do it step-by-step step, as much as possible you keep on doing it until you immediately understand how it works. And it's that cemented takes a bit. It it takes quite a few number of plays of not plays per se, but doing those actions before you're able to fully comprehend the scope of the game. Not to mention the fact that after you learn exactly how each of these six actions do, you need to find a way to, as Pat was talking about, figure out the economy of it. On top mm-hmm. of that, you have to figure out Like, uh, how much better is my ship than his? And that being the case, um, the
0: probability of my two ships beating his, like, four or five. You know what? Since your breakdown of the learning curve was as long as last week's entire Neotopia review, Scott and I are going to keep it simple. Scott, what do we think of the learning curve? It It was was good. good. (laughs) 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 All right, all right. Guys, I'm, I'm terrified. Ryan, you get 30 seconds because I think you did just tell me where is the meat? bit number five where's the meat in eclipse second dawn for the i'm just it will henceforth be called eclipse where's the meat ryan The meat is in the interaction on the entire
2: board. Uh, I I think the biggest meat in the game, though, is the research tiles, getting them, and upgrading your ships. I think that's what separates this game from every other 4X space game that is out there. There is no other game that I can know of that you upgrade all individual parts of your ship. This one does it, and it does it really, really well to the point where that's one of the big things that you look at whenever you're trying to determine whether you want to battle, whether you want to go to explore and fight off some uh, ancients. It is Mm. the meat of the game is that research track which allows you to put this text on these ships and you can just customize whatever ships you want. Just depends on what you want
1: to do. But that's that's my meat of the game. How about you guys? Scottro. Well, I have to agree with you. The idea of being able to customize your ships is such an awesome part of this because, yeah, you start out the game. You could play all the what is the Terran Collective or the Terran whatever it is. You could all play exactly the same and still end up being completely different with all your ships. Absolutely. Or you can play with the different races and play completely different. So it really does end up being how you want to make your race. Each time you play, it can be something completely different. And I think that's what makes it so special. What makes me want to go back and play this game again is knowing what I didn't do the last time. And doing it this time, it's almost like you're making up your tiny ships for Galaxy Trucker,
0: making each one of them. Put this part over here, that part over there. Exactly. You're <laughs> doing all
1: that. So it's basically I'm building a fleet of ships for Galaxy Trucker and going out to take over the universe.
0: You know, guys, when I think of the meat of the game, I think, okay, what's the thing that you're doing that's going to score you points? And there's a lot of ways to score points here. You can do it via exploring. You can do it via fighting, even being picked on. Somebody fights you, you're going to get to pull a token out of that bag. Everybody wants to go for the middle because controlling that one's worth more points. I think it's a combination of managing your economy, how much of each of the resources you're gaining. And like you guys said, the ships, that's what makes this game what it is. If your ships were just every dreadnought is the same, every fighter is the same, and the technology has affected the game in different ways rather than being ship upgrades, well, that wouldn't be Eclipse anymore. It would just be another Space 4X rando war game. Customizing the ships is what what makes you you in a game of Eclipse. Whatever... Whatever portion of the game you're going to pursue, be it a little bit of everything, or I'm going to be the attacker, I'm going to be an aggressor, I'm going to be an explorer, I'm going to go research crazy. Whatever you're opting to do, a lot of it is going to hinge on what are your ships capable of. And that, to me, is why that, well, you know, maybe we could even boil it back to that research. What are you researching that's going to let you upgrade your ships? Excellent talk on the meat. Let's talk replayability and variability, which is off the charts. I wish there were a couple more factions. We've got six factions. You can flip over the player boards, and there's a seventh—the uh, Terran—that uh, you know everybody's got that on the other side. That said, the game's not lacking for variability because while there are only six factions, there are. I'd like, boy, I'd like to see the diagram of how many different ways you can customize a ship. And that's all going to come down to what's available on that research track. And that's going to be different because you're pulling random ones at the start of play out of a bag. And every turn you're adding like seven, Uh, every round rather you're adding like seven. So you might see multiples of the giant laser. You might not see any of the, what is the, The Gauss shield, you know, the basic shielding. You might not see the ability to power up your ships. That big plus nine, like, generator that you can slap in the hull of your ship so you can carry anything. That might not be in the game. So, that right there, to me, that's the catch. That's the replayability in this game. Exploring, it's interesting. It's going to change the game from play to play. Where the walls are, what I mean is like when you place your tile and you orient it so that, oh, I'm going to make it so the warp gate doesn't connect over there so you can't get to me. Well, yeah, that's going to change things up game to game. Which, for the record, I love that. I love that in this game, you get to you're legitimately building the galaxy. However, having said that, how you customize your ships—that's obviously where the variability comes from. I'll leave some. Uh, I'll leave some breadcrumbs after that for you guys. What, what do you think? Anything I'm missing here with replayability
1: and variability?
0: I honestly have nothing to add. That's that's pretty much it right there.
1: Yeah, I think you covered everything. The only Perfection. thing I, can... huh? I didn't, I didn't say all Perfection. that. Perfection, I didn't say all, all that.
0: that. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm gonna say turn really... my hat
1: backwards. Uh,
0: That's really neon. Are you about
2: to <laughs> wow, turn it really... back the right way? Wow. wow. Are, you, are you about to th- th- throw the
1: GCDs at us? <laughs> all right, all right. I choose you. Lie and... down, you two. Right. I got the four. Okay. Yes, there is replayability and variability. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, let's talk
0: downsides. Bit number seven. Why don't we go Scott, Ryan, me?
1: I went into this just kind of, uh, I don't know if I'm going to like this, but I liked it a lot more than I I thought it was going to be. The downsides could be the research tokens. Whenever there's one out there, someone else gets it you're done so you have to be sure to be able to get that whenever you do you may overspend and get too far into debt and whenever you're done with it it's like oh crap i wasn't paying attention i know mike that happened to mike really really hard near the end of the game he lost three or four different planets or something like that. Mm -hmm. that really really hurt him if you pay attention it's not going to hurt you but if you get caught up in the moment it's really going to hurt you there so I don't really have that many downsides to really say. I, you two, I'm anxious to hear what you have to say since you are big fans of Twilight Imperium and how you think, what you think the downsides are. This one, all right. Um,
2: now, as far as a game like this is concerned, I don't know if the downside that I have is truly a really bad downside. I feel like there's still, regardless of the as much variability as there is in this game. I feel like there's still a formula in this game that you follow. There's the first two turns or three turns where you explore planets and you try to build up your income. Um, Mm -hmm. The unfortunate thing is, uh, for example, Scott had to go through this. He was unable to uh, explore any planets that would give him any kind of income. The Mm -hmm. first planet he searched for or explored had an enemy on it, so he could not get in there. Because the ships were just a basic ship. The second planet he did was a single disc with a single planet that he could put a token on, and that didn't provide much of anything. If you do not get a gold income or a money income planet early, then unfortunately, you're stuck doing much fewer actions than anybody else. Um, and that could be a detriment for the rest of the game, depending on how it goes. I think that's what Pat had. Pat could explore all these planets and could put all these discs out, but none of them gave him like gold income. He was the one that, by the way, at the end of the game had to lose four planets because mm-hmm. everything else that he wanted to do cost him more money. And unfortunately, I think that's what lost him the game. Uh, he was second place, but if he had managed to keep all
0: his planets, I think he would, I think it was a tie or like he would have beat me by like a point or two. I think t- uh, Scott and I tied yep. like four points behind you.
2: Yeah. The variability is great as far as research is concerned. Uh, If you can't research one thing, there's plenty of other things to research, and maybe you don't even have to time it so that you research at that point in time. Maybe you just set yourself up for something else. However, I think the biggest downside is the fact that it is random what kind of planets you get. And if you don't get any kind of income near the beginning, you're essentially behind for the rest of the game. And that's the downside I have is the fact that you could
0: be stretched really thin really early, and that's detrimental for the rest of the game. How about you, Pat? That basically was my downside is that because the exploration can be random. And if you're finding ancients, if you're finding baddies underneath each of the tiles where you just kind of sit and put. And it does feel, even though they do try and mitigate uh, like a runaway leader, a snowballing effect of someone getting more and more powerful. Uh, they, let's be honest, you know, th- that can happen. If somebody does in their first two explorations, they find three gold spots and two empty planets. They're in a much better position. Then the guy then like Scott, where he found an enemy on one and then the other one had a single, we'll say, research that he could take control of. Yeah, Scott can pursue other things, but it's going to be an uphill battle from there. It's self-correcting to some extent in that Scott can also depend on, well, you know, Ryan got all that income. That's okay. He's sandwiched between two people who see that and need to go in there and beat him up for it. But that it's in there, just be aware that it can happen. That's the only downside I could really cite. Bid number eight was it fun? And who's it for? Ryan? Oh, yeah. No,
2: it was yeah. definitely fun first time i played it i was hooked i definitely wanted to play it immediately afterwards but obviously this is a quite quite a long game i did manage to play a game with four players in about an hour and 45 minutes which was miraculous Mm -hmm. But aside from that the other three times that i played besides that i wanted to try different units different uh, races to see how they worked out i'm enjoying the game yes i was the planta once and i enjoyed it i think that was my favorite to play as i played this research faction twice actually because it was randomly chosen everyone else chose a color i had the the leftover i find this fun to explore to f- see the other options that are available that that tech that technology trait being uh completely different each time is unique the fact that like i wanted to play as the evil uh, attacking race that was really fun to just go in and like splurge on like combats on all sorts of things i i explored not just for the planets but just try to find these ancients just so i could take them down I tried to play each race to its advantage, and I, I just enjoyed mm-hmm. every single time I played it so far. Uh, I haven't had no issues, probably because I haven't had any issues with like the income track yet. <laughs> but when it hits me, I'm sure I'm going to be uh, flipping the table. It, it, it is definitely fun. Uh, who's it for? I guess anybody who's into the space theme. This does it really, really well, in my opinion very obviously if you like twilight imperium you'll like this game but you like it better than twilight imperium uh it's up pretty that's up to you but I, I definitely know that you'll actually you know enjoy this game
0: but yeah that's me Oh yeah, this game's fun. Eclipse is a ton of fun. Let me tell you what, it is number 19 for a reason. My eyes have been opened. I bought this thing like two years ago. I actually got a discount because it showed up from, I don't know, Game Nerds or Miniature Market, one of those one of those sites that sells you the game and got it in and had a split on the side of the box. And I'm not one to complain, but it was a pretty good split. So I, them, I was like, guys, can I get like a replacement there? Like, how about we give you 20 bucks back? I was like, done (laughs) so (laughs) so i got it and it sat on the shelf of shame for nearly two years until ryan said he was willing to teach it at pgx so that was the plan this being a first impression review yeah my first impression is that there will be a lot more impressions to follow now who's it for this is where i saved all that twilight imperium comparison crap it's an a and b all right we have two very different games here yeah it's for someone who wants 4x but they don't want the negotiating, the feel bads, all that stuff that comes with forex—it's for that euro gamer that's willing to try something a little bit different. You know, I'm gonna—I want gonna to play a euro game where we might end up attacking each other, right? It's definitely managing an economy. It's managing your loadout on your ships. It's all these things that traditional forex games don't necessarily have you do. If you're playing a Axis and Allies, if your economy gets bigger, well, it's just bigger. You don't have to pay more because you have a bigger economy. You can build more. You did it. You did it. You did it. You got a better economy. You did it. Uh, You get my point. This is different. This has little micromanaging things going on. I like that. Now, in comparison to Twilight Imperium, I think the biggest difference, the biggest for me, obviously, Twilight TI doesn't have like the same amount of micromanaging of economics uh, of tech and whatnot ti uses a lot more cards it has a lot more play above the table the negotiation in this game is a token that i can give to you that's the only binding agreement yeah we can talk about it. say do me a favor don't come over here well that's fine i can't give you some gold to leave me alone or some of the stuff that you can do in a game of TI. We don't have a voting phase like the agenda phase that you have in TI, where you get to actually alter the rules of the game moving forward and appoint titles to people. To me, that's the, that's the 4X excitement, the Ameritrash excitement of TI. What makes it so good just lacks that. But you know what makes this good? is those Euro elements and the way that they're pulled off, the way that you get to, like, meticulously put little tech on your ships and go, oh, my goodness, my little fighters are so powerful. That's so different. And yet it's so good. If you like the sound of a 4X Euro game, I think you're really going to like this one. King. All right.
1: You know my history with Twilight Imperium. I don't like it. I'll be right out front with it. This one here, yes, it was fun. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I didn't like all the negotiation. I didn't like all the voting going on in the other games. This one gets rid of all that and just gives you the experience that you want. Go out there, explore, exterminate, exploit, and that. Extrapolate, expand. Uh, That's it. Yes, yes. (laughs) I always forget expand, but this one gives you all that. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the the ability to customize your ships. Like you said, you may have a bunch of big dreadnoughts out there or whatever they were cruisers or the dreadnoughts. I could have those kick ass interceptors that are going to come in and just wipe the floor up with you if I customize them the right way. That makes it fun. That makes it very variable. Where if I look at it on Twilight Imperium, I see a bunch of small ships. I see your one big ship. What's the point? I mean, I'm not going to do anything. So I'll just sit here and that's it. This gives you that little X factor to make it that much more fun for you. Who is it for? it's for people who don't like twilight imperium there you go i'll put it right out there uh (laughs) this is same ballpark different game it's a lot of fun here i really thoroughly enjoy this if you are put off by twilight imperium if you've played and you don't like it Don't let this one make you scared of playing a big game like that. This game is a lot of fun. In my mind, I got a better experience playing this than I did in Twilight Imperium because it accentuated what I like in a game. Like you said, it has Mm -hmm. the Euro elements, things like that. I like that in this game. I'm definitely down to play this game whenever, anytime I will play this game. This is my Twilight Imperium.
2: So here's my thinking too. Uh, we all know, uh, as was talked about earlier t- in this uh, episode, that Twilight Imperium is coming to Board Game Arena. However, I feel like this would have been a better game for, yeah, for <laughs> Board Game Arena. <laughs> it would I, have been a lot I, easier to I, implement. I, I will say that because like, there's not going to be a need to talk about negotiation other than, hey. Uh, You can submit an offer to negotiate with somebody, and they could just decline it, and that's Mm -hmm. it. Uh, Twilight Imperium. There's a lot of like uh, Pat said, like talk over the table. There's going to be a lot of talking. There's going to be a lot of how why should we vote like this. So I I feel like they should make an implementation on Board
0: Game Arena for Eclipse for those kind of gamers. Mm Well, guys, before we get to the look back, I just wanted to point out that uh, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition is uh, currently ranked number five on BGG's overall rankings to number 19 for this one. So
1: I think we can put the which game's better to rest. Well, I mean, there are a lot of people that have delusions of grandeur out there, too, as well. So (laughs) did you have did you have the delicious barbecue? That's that's low. (laughs) Uh Okay. let's go to look back. (laughs)
0: One giant epic space battle to another. One year ago, we reviewed Block and Key. Guys, this is uh, this is one hell of a game, a little uh, tabletop game. It's one of those two levels. Now, Ryan, you didn't join us for the review. Have you played Block and Key? No,
2: I have not played Block and Key, so all of my interpretations of this game are based on what both of you
0: have to say. All right. Well, King, you picked this one up from, oh, this one came from Connor.
1: Yes, from Inside Up Games. Whenever this came out, I played it a lot. And unfortunately, I haven't gotten it to the table recently. I think mainly due to just being busy with a lot of other games coming up. Well, this is a, a great game I enjoy. I really do enjoy it. But much like the game we did last week with the Spatial Relations, <laughs> This one has a lot to do with it because you want to be able to look at things that aren't exactly in two dimensions. You're looking at three dimensions, trying to match up different patterns that you want to do in order to unlock this crypt to get into all the treasures. It gives a great appearance on the table, and I just want to get it back to the table again because it is a fun game. What about you, Patrick? Well, I love
0: the production. I love those clay pieces, the Tetris pieces. Uh, We should just a real quick recap. So you've got uh, the lower level and the top level and the lower level is going to house the car so you can collect the top level is where you're putting your Tetris shapes, right? Picture a grid board and you put your Tetris shapes on top of it or on top of other Tetris shape pieces. And the idea is if I have a card that shows that I have, we'll say a row of three green and then two blue just to the right of it and then above it. Uh, it's got four red. Well, I need to find a way that 2D, when I look across what is on that board at the top, I see that exact layout and then I can show the card. That's the game, but it is 3D. So I could theoretically, I could put something on the top in front of the opponent to mess with them. If I don't have anything else to do with it, or I could put something uh, uh, to the far left of mine, just poking out a little bit. It's neat that it gives you that depth to work with as you're mm-hmm. creating something to match up with a 2D pattern in a 3D space. Excellent components, very unique gameplay now it's not my style you know me I don't like uh, m- make this objective and right and everybody's trying to to meet that you know the, the puzzle so to speak I'll play it I think it's a lot of fun you know I, I enjoy when I play it but if I'm sitting down for game day it's not like oh let's all let's all try and solve these little puzzles all day some folks love that it's not my cup of tea that said this is a very fun game I can acknowledge that while it's not my style I can still recommend it because I think a lot of folks are going to appreciate what it does
1: Sounds good. I recommend this one too. Right,
0: adventurers. Quick topic today. We want to talk about some new ideas for welcoming or gateway games. And the logic here, Scott, you'll recall at the panel, we had someone ask us, they were like, Do you have some good suggestions for gateway games? Like, oh boy, do we. (laughs) And then you know what we did was we gave a lot of the what we'll call standard answers Seven Wonders, Azul, Catan, Carcassonne. And I was like, You know what? I, I'm not happy with that. I, King of Tokyo. I'm okay with those answers. I think those are fine recommendations. But if we're going to run a podcast, you know, I want to give some different answers. So I'm kind of, there's a part of me that's hoping that the folks at the panel are our listeners and they're listening to this because, you know, we have a few more that we want to provide. And I tasked you guys with coming up with uh, two or three games apiece. Uh, let's talk about some other, some of the non-standard answers for gateway games.
2: Yeah. I feel like as the years have gone by, like the answers, like you said, like Dominion and Seven Wonders, those are classic answers from games that came out somewhere in the realm of 10 to 20 years ago. There mm-hmm. have been an expansion of how many games there are produced every year. It's just going up and up and up. And so there are plenty of more options in these past couple of years, in fact, that could be considered gateway games. And so, you know, let's try to steer away from those classic choices and let's see if there's any newer kind of games that could you know, wet people's appetites and get them into this expensive
0: business of board gaming. All right. Gentlemen, I'm going to lead this one off because I'm going to go with a game called NAR that I talked about. Last episode. Gnar. <laughs> Don't, stop saying it like that. Guys, this one plays a lot like uh, Century Spice Road, which is one of those, we'll say, classic recommendations that we hear all the time. It's like, yeah, we know. What else can we play to introduce people? NAR does that. It's that card playing game. It's the Viking theme, playing cards into your personal tableau underneath your boat, and you're collecting all the symbols listed above. You can explore instead of playing a Viking. And when you explore, you're adding to a separate tableau at the top of the boat. I think it's an excellent introductory game because it's going to play in about 20 minutes, maybe a little certainly under half an hour. It's very easy to understand. Two different actions that you can play on a turn, four different symbols that you can collect, and you mix in that exploration. It's like, oh, there's a little bit more here. You're not just buying point cards. You're buying a point card that can be added to the top of the boat. It's a simple game to pick up, but it's got some depth to it. And I think that's a key when we talk about something that's going to get somebody into the hobby and, you know, wet their appetite for more, walk them through the gates, so to speak.
1: King, what you got? Okay, well, you were saying about games that kind of go off of one. So I picked one that's very similar to Splendor, but mine was Space Explorers from 25th Century Games. So this Mm. is based on the space race with the U.S. and Russia, things like that. And they do a great job with the production, making it look like kind of yellowed, old manual type of photographs or, or artwork different spaceships they'd be sending up into space, and you have all the different tokens that you would be using as well, like they have the different gems and Splendor. But the unique thing about this one is you play it very much the same way And as you get cards, you add those to your uh, tableau in front of you and you get extra powers from those. Those will give you extra things, extra tokens that will add on so you can buy bigger things and bigger things. But the thing that makes it very interesting is the tokens that you use to buy things. Once you purchase something, it doesn't go back into the bank, if you will. It gets passed to the player to your left. So you stop and think about what you're buying and what you're going to be giving the next player to your left. Am I going to buy something that's going to surpass what I'm going to be giving to that person? Or am I giving them too much that they're going to be able to do something major on the next turn? So it adds that just extra little kick there in the game to make Splendor even that much better whenever you play it in Space Explorer. So Space Explorers would be one of mine. Well, everybody knows the game of
2: memory, where you try to match two cards together, but they're face down at the beginning. And if you do match them, you get another turn. That's pretty no, it much doesn't memory. doesn't
1: trigger anything in my memory there. Oh, well, well sorry to hear that.
0: <laughs> Your recommendation. Okay, there you have it. Ryan says play memory. Yeah, there you go. Get some
2: <laughs> get some Ginkgo biloba in you. But no, this game has a lot of memory involved with it, uh, but it's also kind of a race mechanic. This game is called Wandering Towers. It recently came out, I believe, by uh, uh, Capstone Games wandering towers is just a rondelle with a bunch of towers on it there's a black tower called raven's keep and you have a bunch of wizards that are currently placed on the top of a couple of the towers near the beginning in this game it's very very simple you have one of two actions that you could do you can either you have a handful of three cards and what you could do is you could play a card and it either shows the wizard with a movement number there's the tower with a movement number and there are some of them that have both uh, that you can choose between when you play a card You choose which tower or which wizard you want to move, and you move it forward the number of spaces that it indicates. The goal of the game is to try to get all of your wizards into the Raven's Keep, Keep, which is that black tower. At the same time, you also want to flip over your potions, so you start the game with a certain number of face-down potions. Whenever you move a tower, you actually move it along the top of every other tower that's in front of it, if there is. And every time you place the tower on top of a, uh, one of your wizards or your opponent's wizard, you get to flip over one of those potions. And those potions can be used as a bonus action to activate a magical ability that could do something like move your wizard backwards one space or move mm-hmm. forward a tower two, uh, two more spaces forward if you'd like to. The goal of the game is to have all of your potions flipped up or used and all of your wizards in the tower. And that's how the game works. But you have to think about it in a memory kind of way, because if a tower goes on top of one of your wizards, you can't see it and so you have to remember where it is because not only can you move one single tower on top of your opponents or your wizards but that means that there's now a stack of towers now when you get to move a tower you can choose what layer to cut that tower in and move the rest of them so there's a tower that's three I three like towers it. tall you can remove the top uh, the top tower from it only or you can remove the top two or you can move all three of them at the same time kind um, of like camel up Pretty much. Oh, yeah, pretty much. That's a, that's a good way to put it. That is the goal of the game. It's a very simple game. Kids will love it. It is very, very, very simple to get into. I managed to teach it in five minutes. And yeah, someone who, who played it with us bought it for me immediately for their kid. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot more of joy coming from that side of the family. But that's Wandering Towers. Pat,
0: you got another one? Yeah, I wanted to get something on here that was like in the roll and write. And my my first reaction, was, oh man, I should go Guild of Merchant Explorers. But you know what? It might be a little bit too robust, maybe a little bit too long. I'm gonna go with Long Shot, the dice game. Uh, simple. Some horse racing, it's a, It's basically a and right. It's got a little bit of a gambling mechanic, a bit of a bidding mechanic going on. You're trying to get a hold of your own horse. It's got asymmetric abilities. And yet, I don't think it's going to be overwhelming uh, for the, the first time player. One of the neat things about, about some of these, uh, I don't want to say entry level, but gateway games, welcoming games is they need to appeal to the person who you're trying to show the, the light. You know, hey, look at what this hobby's all about. And yet, they also still need to be fun for you. And for your friends, it's got to be something that you'll come back to from time to time. And I think long shot qualifies excellent little rolling right
1: back to the king. Okay. My next one was one that I played a number of years ago. And unfortunately, I haven't gotten back to the table recently. And it's still, it's a very fun game, a gorgeous artwork, beautiful production to this. And that game was Mysterium. And in Mysterium, Uh one person plays a ghost. They've been killed. So you need to get messages to everyone else as to who the killer was, what they killed you with, and in what room. So it's very much like Clue in a way, but it has that extra little X factor of the ghost giving you signals as to what they're looking for. You have all these different cards that have drawings on or dream looks to them. There may be an overwhelming amount of blue in it. Well, the person that killed you has a lot of blue on their one card for their identity. So you give it to someone thinking they're going to figure that out. The fun part about it is it's semi-cooperative, semi-competitive, because you do want to win, but you also have everyone kind of jumping in with you, trying to figure out what the puzzle is to what people are doing. And this is a great thing to really bring the people together, to play together and try and guess what the person is trying to pass on to you with these pictures. A lot of fun it's maybe the it's a little difficult to get the idea so if you have someone who knows the rules plays the ghost first and kind of referee the game in a way it makes a lot easier for people to jump into playing the game lots of fun so mysterium is my next one to throw in there and um, what do you have at the same point in time that Target started getting
2: a bunch of games and like a bunch of modern board games in, this was amongst the first batch of those types of games that they managed to start selling there. And this one was Pan Am. Now, I tried almost every other Target game that they had releasing at this time, but Pan Am stuck with me as one of the better games that they had. In fact, I still have my copy. Now, Pan Am is one of those games that I would call it an introductory game. It requires a pretty decent teach at the beginning, so it might be a little bit more complex than an introductory game. But with a good teach, it's a very, very fun game for people who are just getting into the gaming industry. This is a bidding kind of game where you are trying to uh, bid to do actions or bid to get cards or bid to get better airplanes. Basically in this game is you're trying to buy stock in routes. To do that, you need to have what's known as landing rights, which means two cities between that route the idea of the game is this is when pan Am's first starting out you are also starting out and you're just buying routes however pan am is going to expand and they want to rule the entire world as far as like the airlines are concerned so if you have ownership of a route that pan am starts to venture out into based on the die roll, they buy that route from you and you get a ton of money uh, your income goes down because you've lost that route But you get a ton of money to do so, and you can use that money to buy more routes. So your idea is you're trying to buy these routes knowing that Pan Am is going to go out there, and they're going to buy it from you for even more money. But like the gist of it is it's an easy game once you get down to it and you actually play it. But yeah, that Pan Am, if if
1: you see a copy of that, I suggest playing one. I picked it up a while ago and still have not played it yet. Blasphemy. I'm sorry.
0: Well, that's my last one. Pat, you got one more for us? Yeah, I'm going to round out the list with Summer Camp. This is like a great introductory game for deck building. You know, you don't have to show people Dominion. This one's got some theme. It's got some charm. You got three little boards that you place next to each other, and that's going to show you how your routes go for three little hikers that are going across the routes. Your card's going to let you move. Your card's going to let you buy some more things. It's very simple. You're earning merit badges as you go across. So you've got an appealing theme with light deck building. And how about this? You can decide what merit badges you're going to go for. That game comes with sealed boxes inside that have different cards. Oh, you know what? This time we're going to go for the, uh, the cooking and we're going to go for hiking and maybe boating. So you take out those boxes, you incorporate those cards this time. Now, next thing we're going to switch it up, let's go, with the, let's go with cooking and let's go with archery. You know what I mean? You get to change how you're going to play, and the cards are not dramatically different. In fact, if you're a seasoned gamer, you're going to find them maybe a little on the simple side, but I think that's what makes this a really good gateway, introductory, welcoming style game. You bust out the minion, you have expansions in that box, there are some cards that people are going to read and go... I don't know what that does. You're not going to run into that with Summer Camp. So for me, I think it's an excellent recommendation for an intro welcoming gateway game. Recapping the list, we've got Nars, Space Explorers, Wandering Towers, Long Shot, the Dice Game, Mysterium, Pan Am, and Summer Camp. Give those a try next time you need a good welcoming game. All right, gentlemen, we've done it. This is a gigantic episode. I'm looking at how long we've been recording, and I am dreading having to edit this thing, but we've done it. We're at the end of episode 109, and as we do every time, we're going to talk about how we leveled up since we last recorded together. Now, Ryan, we've had you on probably more than the other co-hosts, but it has been a few episodes. Give me a level up. Sure thing. I would say the level up
2: would be PGX because it's the first time I've been there, but you know, that's what this whole episode is. This episode is so long because we just had so much excitement built in each of us that we had to just let it out. It has been said uh, in a previous episode about the fact that we are doing an extra life fundraiser and we now have a date for that. We are going to be doing this extra life fundraiser, a 24 hour game-a-thon of multiple, multiple different games. We're going to have a lot of stretch goals in essence where, you know, who knows, we could play uh, Monopoly Uh, as one of them (laughs) (laughs) nice but the date for that is going to be on November the 4th we're going to start it at 10 in the morning eastern standard time at 10 a.m we're going to do 24 hour streaming this is all for charity please please donate if you can yeah and as far as the dates are concerned and if you have any if you want any information as far as this fundraiser is concerned the details will be in the show notes please take a look at them we are very very excited to be playing a bunch of board games for a long period of time for kids
1: that is my level up how about you guys well my level up i would have to say comes from my latest foray in careers being a substitute teacher what has been a level up is really getting a chance to see what the teachers do firsthand what they face every day now to the point where I go to a school, I have to buzz in because you have to buzz in to let say what you're there for. But I the can't cool thing in about it you is don't buzz in. you got to buzz in. Well, yeah, but the fun thing now is I buzz in. I don't even have to say what I'm there for. They know me. They just mm. open the door up automatically. And it's it's such a cool feeling to be able to, to have that trust in them knowing you and things like that. I just jumped in this past week, a last moment for a teacher who was really sick. It was really a great day, great kids and everything. It was a lot of fun. And I think my level up is just having an appreciation of what teachers go through every day. We appreciate you too, Scott, for being a king too. And Josh Patrick, what do you have for us? Dude, it's
0: got to be PGX related and like I said, I'm probably going to have something from that convention for my level up for the next month or two worth of episodes. For this one, I'm going to go with Sir Jack. There's there's nothing cooler than whenever somebody meets you. Now they drove in, they came up from DC and mm-hmm. you know, I don't think people realize like I always thought, man, how cool would it be to like meet some of these people that I listen to on podcasts and you know, oh man, that that would be epic. And I don't think that listeners necessarily know because we had Sir Jack, we had Dylan, we had a a handful of folks actually that aren't Pittsburgh local that came and they're like, yeah, we heard you talking about it on the show. You know what's even cooler than you guys having the chance to meet us is when we have the chance to meet you. It's, it's validating. It makes me feel like, oh my goodness, you know, we're not just, we're not just shouting into the void. These are real people and, you know, I, I can only hope that when we talk about things like uh, like PGX, we say, yeah, no, come to the meetup. It's going to be a great time. I can only hope that it meets the expectation or it exceeds it for folks that come. And it's a pleasure every time. We had another listener. You know what? I'll save that until next time, guys. We got to get a move on. So let's do our thing, adventurers. Right now, obsession. The episode that we did for the characters expansion was a uh, side quest uh, two and a half weeks ago. It's live. It's live as the time of this recording. Get on over and back that characters expansion, King Scott. You get the last word.
1: Well, hey, I think it has to do with what happened at PGX. I think it has to do with my teaching. It has to do with a lot of things. I'm a little long in the tooth here, as it is, and I've seen many, many moons come and go compared to you guys. Just stop and think. It's never too late to start something new. Start something you love. Enjoy it. Go out there. Have a great time. Just do something you love to do. And Mission Barbecue is really awesome to savor and enjoy when you have a chance. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.